Hello and welcome to the Third Space Podcast. This is Bennett with another podcast introduction. But fear not, there's no audio issue this time. I'm not warning you of any problem. There's no reason to be dismayed. Everything is fine. Um, but Daniel and I, when we listened to the last episode, we kind of liked having an introduction. Kind of felt like it was setting the stage a little bit. So I think we're going to start trying to do an introduction before the episode. It's just a brief one. Um, it'll usually be me, but maybe Daniel will jump in uh, with an introduction every now and then. Anyway, uh, this is the thirty or the twenty-third episode of the Third Space Podcast. Uh, in this episode, um, we spend a while talking about the education system, which is no surprise considering Daniel's a teacher. We have uh, lots of complaints, but lots of suggestions about interesting things that might make things better. Uh, then we have a brand new segment. Um, that I won't spoil here, but I think it went really well. Uh, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I think it'll be coming back again. And then we dove into uh, the topic of identity, specifically intrinsic identity, how you how you represent yourself. Um, and uh, rather than go the normal route of talking about it, we kind of did a psychoanalysis of Daniel to get to the bottom of how how he structures his identity. I thought it was pretty interesting. It's kind of personal, uh, but I don't know. Maybe people can find it interesting and learn from it. And that's the content of this episode. I thought it was a good one. Kind of long, but pretty good. Hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, I'll let Daniel uh, do his thing. Bennett. Hello, Daniel. Bennett. It's a show. Greetings. Oh. Greetings. Oh, it's a jingle. It's a jingle of a show <laughs> called Third Space. <laughs> Yeah, you talked over it. We can edit that in post. It'll be fine. Nah, we'll leave it. I I didn't realize I was getting a really jingled up jingle that was you know didn't fit the pattern I was used to. So this was more of a modern jingle style. I was going for a monotone speaking, more of a like a talking jingle that didn't really have much of a jingle. But it was still a jingle. Like, that's what I was going for. Yeah, that's very <laughs> Just modern. Just a really bad jingle, in other words. Really bad. Very modern. Very modern. <laughs> Minimalist so mo- is what I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's so modern that it doesn't even have to have music. That's how modern this jingle was. In fact, today's podcast is one long jingle, and it will repeat yeah. <laughs> before right. the intro of the that's right. bigger podcast. Just after, after the podcast ends, just press repeat and listen to it again, and that's the second chorus. <laughs> so... I've got something on my mind. Okay. And it's and Shoot. So, so I'd like to sh- I'd like to sh- yeah. I'm going to share it. I'm going to share that thing. You know, why do people why do we do that? Why do I have this tendency to qualify? Like I'm about to share an idea. Like you know, kids will do this in papers sometimes though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the worst papers, the worst writers. This is not common, but like they who? Will write, Call like, them out. Call them nah, out. What's their name? Nah. You know, right. I'm just not going to do it. All right. <laughs> but but they will write something like, in this paper, I'm going to tell you about. And, I mean, that's rare. I don't, ha- again, but still, like, wow, just tell me about it. You might as well write, this is a topic sentence, and it will say this. This is, my claim is going to be, it just creates for a very strange paper. Um, I think, um, you're writing in the paper that this is the paper. Two, two things that spring to mind, <clears throat> reasons why that might be. The first is that, a lot of times when you read professional research, uh, you know, like journals or articles or whatever, a lot of times 
they tell you what they're about to present to you. Uh, this experiment is about X, Y, and Z, and in this paper we present blah 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 blah. And right. that sounds very it sounds very sterile and scientific and cold. And maybe that's not the best style, even for scientific papers. But it is that way and has been that way for a long time. And students well, are exposed the, uh, to that. I'm blanking on the name though. It's called something. The 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 excerpt the the explication the something I'm just I can't I'm blanking on the name but like you you write one of those yeah for, that says this is the research we did yeah and like kids are exposed to that and they think oh that's what it means to be you know an academic or whatever and so here I am writing yeah. a paper in English class and I better do that um, that's one reason I can think and another reason I can think is just that the easiest way to write is in narrative form and the easiest narrative to write is the narrative that you have lived or are living. And so right, the first person, like I am going to tell you, I'm doing yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Here I am. I, what am I doing? I don't really know what I'm about to talk about, but here I am writing a paper. So in this paper, I will explain you're thinking as you write, you know, and right. that's the kind of writing that needs revision uh, to get rid of that stuff. But it's really easy to do. Um, it's really easy to write that it's, way. I write that way. A lot of times, like even like for my school, papers and stuff like where the where you know i'm not an english class so the narrative doesn't matter that much i write that way because it's easy and you know it gets to the point by the end of this paper i will have demonstrated this this and this i'll have convinced you of this that sort of thing well uh, i mean not quite that not quite that formal but you know i'll say like for example i was working on the start of a report just earlier today and you know i said um uh you know, for my analysis, I chose this and I chose this and uh, the experiment that I ran was like this. I mean, it was first person and I was it was a narrative. I was walking through what I chose, why I chose it, and and then later I'll put some results in there. I mean, heck, you could see an English teacher giving a lesson about how to write an introduction and you're like, well, it's what it sounds like. It's to introduce a topic. You explore it. You can look at multiple sides. You, you basically are telling the reader what you're going to talk about. And when you say that, then they translate it to writing. It's like, all right, in this essay, I'm going to talk about or write about. And well, they're I just mean, exploring sh- the topic. Strictly speaking, that's a fine introduction. They are introducing what they're about to talk about. It's just, it's the most unsubtle way to do it. It's just right on the nose. Um, now, if I was doing something creative and not, you know, a computer science report or something, then there's no way I would talk like that. I would have to think of something wacky to start off with because um, that's more fun and engaging and it breaks the rules that are kind of established and, you know, it surprises a little bit. But, right. But it's but, easy to understand why someone would, you know, go that easy route if they're an inexperienced writer or if the purpose of the paper isn't to entertain as much as it is to inform or something like that. I guess I'm not stressing how bad it is. Like they will say, my thesis is that, and they will say, <laughs> yeah. and then they will say, they'll write in the book every other sentence. In the book, the character does this. In the book. Okay. And it's like, yeah, I, I Obviously it's in the book. They, obviously it's in the book. The character didn't leap off the page. Like, ah. But these are all little pet peeves, and I haven't even gotten to my bigger question about education. Oh, okay. um, So I've been teaching my AP Lane courses, and we've been talking. We actually read the first chapter to Excellent Sheep. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but it makes No, I'm case. familiar with sheep, but not... Okay, not well, well, these are these are not only good sheep, uh, nay, great, nay, no, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> That's not a sheep. Uh, <laughs> excellent, <laughs> excellent, 
excellent sheep. Great <laughs> joke. Didn't know how to ba nay. Now I wish it were. Dang it. It was close to being funny. It's that that hold on. That deserves a special category of joke because if you would have said that their their discussion is bad, that would have been called what what we now know as a dad joke. Right. But what you just made was like some kind of anti-dad joke. It was <laughs> it it was it, it had all of the uh, the tone and intent of a dad joke, but it was wrong. It was totally wrong. <laughs> nay. They all said nay or whatever, well, I, I meaning it to, to be like a sheep. W- yeah, good. Nay. Great. Nay. Excellent sheep. And then I caught yeah, on. I, I was saying, going to do this nay pattern, and I thought... Well, animals make a nay sound. Maybe I can fit this with sheep. But it was, you know how fast you have to think to make a joke like that? And and how wrong yeah. you have to be? <laughs> yes. You have to think quick and not deep. That's how you have to be. That's right. Um, uh, so, <laughs> anyway, um, we've been talking about the value of education. Excellent sheep is this sort of phenomenon that you get trained to be amazing students, these super people, if you will, and they jump all the hoops, but they don't actually, they, they become obsessed with success and uh, the rat race to get to college, and then they get to college, which becomes a rat race to get whatever degree and the most credentials. Credentialism is what they label it as. And um, ultimately, you know, it just, they, they get into a job that they possibly hate. This is all well-treaded ground, probably not groundbreaking to you. Um, mm-hmm. And we had a good discussion, a rich discussion about, hey, this is you guys are juniors and seniors. Think about this. Think about who you are in this system because every educational system wants to create some sort of human being. And what are they trying to create in you? And then we had this discussion about you really have to look to society because education is trying to answer something about society. But then I just wanted to propose a very simple solution to you um, Look, we can we go to school, we go to college for lots of reasons, uh, but the primary one is for is to prepare you for a great job, right? To get you that really good, good paying or high skilled or whatever job. But then it dawned on me, like, why do we have college? Like, you could that means college is a middleman. Like, who knows better how to do the jobs than the businesses themselves? Why aren't they? And I believe, this is sort of hearsay, I haven't looked into it, but I think uh, Google is doing some sort of six-month program where they will, like, train you and maybe even have to pay Google. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it, so I'm talking out of my butt right now. But if they offer a six-month sort of certificate to come work for them and do some coding or whatever it is, like, wait, why isn't this scalable to for everywhere? Why are we bothering with college? Why aren't, If you say, I want to be a lawyer, like go figure out how to be lawyers from lawyers. And I know this sounds <laughs> like some sort of just massive apprenticeship thing, but um, well, I guess what I want to explore the problems and the benefits of that. Like why college at all? Now college exists in a different form for like a higher form of consciousness and to explore the human experience and sit around and read and play hacky sack and throw the frisbee and stuff. And I and I love all of that. I don't actually I joke, but I'm not undermining that. Like there's a space to sort of examine what it means to be human. But that should be like also be be done without uh, that should be explored outside of education anyway like what is it why are you here it's not a thing that like your job has to answer it doesn't have to so what what are the intricacies of like like why why couldn't google do that 
you know, Walmart do that, um, whatever restaurants do that, like, like why, why have, what jobs are so impossible that you need, like hospitals could be doing this for doctors instead of, like the hospitals know what they need their doctors to do. So right. go ahead. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're presenting something that I'm really open to. I'm very open to almost any idea that will change the educational system, which in my view sucks. Um, and I, I recognize I'm saying that to a teacher, um, <laughs> but, uh, like I think a large scale apprentice apprenticeship system, like you kind of mentioned would be a really interesting experiment to have. I mean, in, in my opinion, most of mo modern college majors are worthless, um, in terms of being practically uh, worthwhile for getting a job or earning an income, um, you know there are there are pursuits of passion. You know if you if you love art or you love poetry, uh, then that's one thing. But getting you know a bachelor's degree in English or art or something, how you know how much good is that really going to do you? Um, and if you but you know to your point, if you were going to be um, a, uh, a professional artist, if that was your goal to be a professional artist, it doesn't seem like you would take classes in, uh, in art so much as in business or in, you know, marketing or some other courses that would allow you to actually pursue your passion as a career rather than learning how to do it. You know, do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, but even, even, uh, even in other fields, you know, you mentioned Google, um, you know, software engineering is a, is an excellent example. I don't think you need a degree to be, in fact, I can say confidently, you don't need a degree to be a good software engineer. I didn't get a degree in software engineering and I'm a software engineer. So, I mean, yes, now I'm pursuing a master's in software engineering, but only so that I can fill that gap on my resume that probably doesn't matter. And I can say, oh yeah, by the way, you know, I have these words that say I can do what I've been doing. So it's kind of pointless. Um, but I, I think it's an excellent idea to instead, especially considering the cost of college now and the amount of debt people have, I think it's an excellent idea for uh, uh, career areas, companies, whatever, to do more um, on-the-job training programs rather than looking for degrees. I, I think that would be beneficial for everyone the the companies the potential employees students everyone um well i mean there's this tension that exists between colleges and businesses right the businesses are always saying the college kids are coming in ill prepared to handle the workforce and all of this so why are they passing the buck to the colleges why aren't they just saying we'll train them ourselves because we know because it costs money they need to do well it's then, expensive. then then we'll then say you can come to work for us that would normally be a, you can come get a six-month certificate. You pay us for this, you know, instead of going to college, come pay us for this certificate. And then, you know, in a shortened amount of time, because they know, especially if you're looking, if someone's looking for this entry-level position, and maybe they work it for a couple of years. So from 18 to, you know, 19, 20, 21, they're working and they, they're making, you know, I'm just going to throw some numbers out there, forty, fifty thousand $50,000. And then, they decide they don't like it or they want to go up that chain, then they get the, the degree within there. And they, they 
the company has said, hey, you're good at this. You should get our extra degree in this. You should get our advanced thing so you can become a manager or whatever, whatever chain of command they want you to go up uh, or hierarchy. But like, well, why, why this degreed stuff that kind of vaguely says you have good problem solving skills that's really expensive, takes four years of your life and supposedly makes you like a more thoughtful, creative person. I'm just, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I think I think maybe college used to be a lot more worthwhile than it is now. Um, it used to be a relatively elite sorting mechanism. Uh, you know, if you had a four-year college degree, then you were a rarity. Uh, it meant that you were... Um, your life was on track enough that you could afford to go to college and succeed at college, uh, and the standards were higher. Um, now, college is easy to get into because, of course, you can just go into tons of debt to get there. You, high school degrees are utterly worthless, so the bar for getting into college is basically non-existent. Many colleges well, certainly are... Competitive colleges though right like that's there there are some competitive colleges but college just broadly speaking is not competitive um and many colleges even big colleges are getting rid of their you know sat and act standards and they're just you know uh, you know allowing people for arbitrary reasons to be accepted because you know everyone should have the opportunity to go to college they say so we should admit everyone now, I think this destroys the utility of a degree. It destroys the ability of companies to look at someone's degree and gauge whether or not the potential employee would be a useful hire. Um, so you're saying so, 40 years ago, with with reasonable certainty, if someone had a degree in you know X, Y, or Z, they were competent in X, Y, or Z, uh, yes. and that is in, that is decreasing by the decade or whatever. Yes, I think by now you're not as certain. You're not even as certain. Like, and in fact, not only could you say they were good in this particular domain, but they could write competently. Would that be a fair thing to say? Maybe forty years ago, Uh, I'd like. I wonder if that's true. But it seems to be. I would say so. Yeah. And now, and now I can verify that's not not the case. Like, you know, (laughs) that's not the case. People that have. Or, or have multiple degrees, you know. Well, I, I mean, you as a teacher, you can speak to the high school side of this. And I mean, you're not even in the public school system. But I mean, how how objective are grades? <laughs> not, I mean, not. how rigorous are grades? That's a better that, question, too. Not. I think not. that's a more interesting one that, than objective because you're never going to get completely objective and i can be comfortable with that because we can determine quality reasonably but especially in a class like english it's that's fair enough that's even i accept that you can't necessarily have an objective grade in english but you can get reasonable about it you can get within uh, it's not some wild conjecture of why this is an a paper and this is a b paper although it would be ridiculous to try to justify a 92 versus a 93 and that's the problem like I can't get into that justification between a ninety-two and a ninety-three. I like anyway, but that's so so. I don't know. I kind of tr- lost my train of thought. But well, that, yeah. I mean, it's just that grades are—they're just kind of tossed out like candy. Oh, yeah, they're inflation. very subjective, and that may, that actually decreases the value of your degree. And 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 we see this spread. Like high school didn't high school didn't used to be 
meaningless. It used to be if you had a high school diploma, that meant something. Now it doesn't mean anything. Now a high school diploma means nothing. Uh, and actually now I think an associate's degree means nothing. A bachelor's degree means almost nothing. A master's degree is just kind of like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I guess they're trying. Um, like, I, I think that there is almost no educational cert certificate that proves that you really know your stuff anymore. Um, there's nothing like that. You, you just, you simply have to have published research or you have to have a product. You have to have something tangible that you can say, look what I made in this field. Look what I discovered or invented or whatever. And that's the only way you can prove your stuff. Otherwise, it's all just, it's all just a guess. Um, like I, I don't envy what companies having to, having to hire people right now. I guess that's what, that's so difficult. You're, let's say you're completely right. And I tend to agree. Or I do agree. Then why not get, throw out the system and start with just a, apprenticeships? What, like, where could this go wrong? I, I actually want to think like, cause we know that any system can can be abused and so the college systems you know got really competitive and people are paying to get their kids in or donating to the school there are all sorts of shady business cheating on sat you know lots of things happen that are shady that get kids that aren't particularly strong or deserving based on their merits but they get into these institutions by be, by way of legacy or whatever so it is are is the same issue going to be plagued if the businesses are uh doing the apprenticeships and if so, is it any worse well, than college? Or would it sort itself out, sort of, because they're not I producing? I think it would sort itself out because businesses have a financial incentive to hire the best candidates, um, not the, the nephew candidates or the legacy candidates or whatever. Their bottom line is affected by the quality of their employees. Um, a co with a college, that's not the way it is. Oh, you're right. You get a bad student and give them a degree. Like, yeah, your reputation can vaguely take a hit. But like, what's one or a dozen out of, you know, all these students? Whereas, you put someone who's ill-equipped to lead people in a powerful position, and you're in a you're in trouble, <laughs> like as a business. Right. I can speak to like you ask, well, how should we change the system or whatever? I can actually speak to personal experience. You'll, you'll recall my first job out of college when I was you know just a fresh yeah. graduate. I, I, I started work at a company, a big company who their model was a lot like what you're talking about. They put me in a training program. They had, they had a whole gigantic building and classes. They hired teachers that their only job was to teach new hires. And I had to take, you know, it was, I don't remember how many months, four or five months of yeah, this is classes. A system then. Yeah. This is kind of what I'm talking about. It was like really neat. And with big companies. Yeah. Right. And, and, and to step back just a bit, when I applied for the job, when I interviewed, my interview was essentially an IQ test, a personality test, uh, and then a face-to-face -face conversation. And that was essentially, it was a day-long event. Um, that was essentially my interview. And if I, if Bennett, if I were going to hire people, then w I don't care about what college they went to or even their major, really. I care about how smart are they? Are they going to be a good fit for the position in terms of temperament? And are they suited to, to deal with the subject matter that the position deals with? And that's basically what they tested me for at this company. Um, and then, of course, they interviewed me face-to-face -to, -face to make sure I wasn't, you know, some kind of weirdo. Uh, right. 
and then they hired me. Uh, so I wasn't a weirdo. Hooray! Um, <laughs> Not too much of a weirdo, I guess. You, it, you right. Were within the weirdo threshold that they had. Within the weirdo threshold, yeah. And then they trained me for a few months, and, you know, and and I worked the job. And, you know, the my, my experience at that company wasn't positive after that, but, but I don't think that's because of the system they had in place. I actually think the system they had in place is an, a really excellent one. And they're very profitable, and you know it's it works for them. It didn't work in my particular case, um, but that was more because uh, the I just didn't like the job. But um, but that's I think that's an excellent process for uh, for hiring and for training. Uh, so did your did your degree get you the opportunity to get the job interview? Like how did they come about? How do how do they decide what candidates to hire? Because that would be the big question if if after high school. Everyone's just a mad dash rush to apply to different stuff. Like that's a now businesses have to sort that out. Right now colleges have to sort that out, right? But businesses would have to then sort it out. Would they be giving IQ tests and personality quizzes, like you said? Like is it just what would have be the norm? You go to Publix I mean, and go, oh, you want to work as a cleric? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not at Publix because they wouldn't care as much about your IQ. Uh, maybe I don't mean that <laughs> negatively. I just, they might. Not <laughs> well, yeah, there. I mean, their standards would probably be a little lower. I imagine that. I mean, well, yeah, you're probably right. The publics wouldn't make you take an IQ test to work it to work there. Um, but they would probably. I don't know. I mean, like high school kids work at publics. Like you yeah. don't have to. Like you don't have to have a lot of knowledge. You just have to be able to do some basic stuff and you know walk around and be relatively friendly. Um, well, consider this then. Okay, so kids are still going to high school, but they're, they're now their little job on the side, or whatever it may be. I know it for, it's different things to different people. Some people don't work in high school. Some people have to work, and some people their parents want to instill some values and whatever. And right. but like, but like, I think it changes the game. I think what you're doing in high school is. Uh, this could be negative, by the way. This is my first time c- coming across something that could be messed up. Is like there becomes pressure like coming out of middle school to go ahead and start gearing up toward that forever job. So you want to be a lawyer, you better go be an intern there or you better work as a, even like a receptionist, whatever you do, like go get that job at the end as an intern or low level job there. And so it's like really valuable. Everyone that wants to be a doctor is going to this hospital to clean bedpans or whatever in, in, in eighth grade, ninth grade. Um, yeah, it might back things up. It's already too young to me to be deciding your life so early. So that's a negative, I think, is that your well, your high school job is now uh, not just a high school job, I feel like. See, I don't, I mean, I could see how that could be the case, but I don't think that would be any more of a problem than it is right now. I mean, how much, how much surgeon experience does cleaning a bedpan give you? <laughs> Basically it, none. I mean, no, it familiarizes right. you with the environment, Sure. And it familiarizes you with being in a patient setting, yes. But really, how you know, are those skills that you couldn't learn after you know two weeks on the job or two weeks in a higher level internship or something? Like I, mean, I just, you're, you're I, right. I don't but think I th- that would be a filtering mechanism. But this is unearthing what the the whole thing about college and what the real reason college exists and the real reason you'd want to get that job as a um, high school kid that's important isn't the job itself it's networking i mean is college not a, a no i'll I, say I the mean, word elite but i think that's what it is i think saying i have a harvard degree means something because that's the networking like i have the power of harvard i have the networking yeah sure absolutely that absolutely you can there's utility in networking 
in college, but but you say Harvard, but there are so many colleges that aren't Harvard, and you know we're we're arguing for the value of college as a whole, and you know yep maybe Harvard Including, has the name yeah, recognition, yeah. name recognition built up over decades when they were more and more when college was when it actually meant something right like will right. the will the name Harvard mean the same thing in forty years? I suspect definitely not. Um, hmm. Like I think that that the uh, the big name colleges in the future will be even less valuable because we're continuing to devalue college degrees at a, at an ever increasing rate. So the name recognition can only go so far. I mean, reality eventually steps in. And, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, but right. what you say, you make a valid point about networking. Like when you're in college, you're around people who are you know pursuing the same field as you are learning from professors who are pr- presumably in the field that you want to go into their networking opportunities sure but i wonder if if without college you couldn't pursue networking opportunities in 4 years uh, for a much more efficient cost um, like I, I think you could get away without college uh, well i fine. yeah i mean i think there are alternatives <clears throat> and all i'm just saying it seems to me historically and maybe networking isn't even the right word i'm talking about something big like all encompassing the 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 politicking the the I mean, we're humans and like whenever we want to hire someone for, let's say we're in a position of power, we're going to hire someone and it's a valuable position. So potentially thousands can apply now, right? Like through all sorts of things like ZipRecruiter or whatever, and it's a desirable position. So boom, you get a thousand resumes. I'm going to, as a human being with limited grasp on all of this, I'm going to go, let me search my brain for who do I know, who have I seen, who do I, who can I talk to and reach out to. So my friend tells me they trust this person. Well, then I'm going to give that person an interview. And so I'm talking about, you know, the doctor who really, you know, the the, the little bedpan cleaner. <laughs> I keep going to bedpan cleaning. I don't know why, but they are really kind. They're always cordial. They're on time. They're polite, and they have expressed interest. And they got the doctor a Christmas gift, and it's just. The presence of mind that that places uh, within the doctor of that person—I don't know—that's that's invaluable. It's sadly overly valued. It's not yep. like I'd like to think of a world that's ideal and like whoever's the best and the most uh, qualified gets the position, but it's totally not that way. And so, yeah, yeah it's all not of that this would. Sure. I mean, there's yeah, no sure, way to there's... avoid that, really. Though there's just not a way to have that perfect society. So no alternative yeah. to college is going to stop the politicking of it. You know. Right. I mean, even if I agree I with you think. that 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 is uh, commonplace, and even if I agree with you that it's overvalued, I don't think that that makes up larger than one percent of hires. Like, I just don't. I don't think it's that overwhelming. Like, there aren't enough people in the right time and place to you know for nepotism to be the reason that they're hired. There's not enough people in that situation. Like, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't if you're know. Doc- That's, okay, this is where we're. Fo- we agree on a lot of things. I feel like we're maybe further apart on this one. I wish I could have. I wish I could get a third person to weigh in, or you know, a, a lot of. I wish we could have that poll machine right now. Um, just because I think, like, I think hires are not influenced by like nepotism. A hundred, like that's you know, that's a strong word, but like, yeah, that's what you're it's describing. Just sort of basically, what's been, on, what's been on your mind? What's in your current? thought patterns who you've seen recently and what's in front of you and so 
Yeah, but how often is, you know, if you are an auto mechanic and you're wanting to hire, you know, some a new mechanic for your garage, how many people do you personally know or are second degree acquaintances who are all of the above suitable for the job, uh, in need of a job, and available for the job? Like, those things, like, yeah. these... It's it's a coincidence if that sort of thing happens. Now, it does happen where, you know, the garage manager might be like, oh, you know, let me talk to my old friend Terry. His son is, you know, just out of school looking for a job, I think. Let me call Terry up. Blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, sure, maybe the, the connection there gets someone a job at the garage. But I think that that is the rarity. That's the exception, not the rule. Most of the time, you have to put out an ad to look for people to apply for your job. Um, and the more specialized the job, the less likely it is that you just have some connection that you know it's, they're going to fall into the position. So let me frame college in a unique way then. Like what if, okay, people try to get near where they want to be. It's good to be near or adjacent to the, the thing you want to do. So that's what a college degree you could argue is. It's like me shouting out hey i'm interested in this in fact i'm just sitting here learning all about it ready when you are jobs and so the four-year degree is a stamp of approval of this like it's like saying i'm 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 close to what i want to be doing i don't know if that's very useful for this conversation now that i think about it it just <laughs> it just is like look but i if mean it's, it's still just saying i want i i you know, I'm yeah, interested I, in the position and I'm You're mute. right. Like, you're right. That has some value, but I want to quantify that value. I think that value is low. I think that an employer, if you if you had an energetic applicant and who really showed that they wanted the job and were able to fill the position in an interview, that would settle the That would be more valuable than looking at their resume and seeing that they spent four oh, years totally. studying in the general area. So, but I think they, now, that now gets I will you tell to, you. Go ahead. I, I will. I'll give you. You know, if I had to criticize our, you know, our proposed apprenticeship sort of world that you know we vaguely defined, if I had to criticize that and say why, you know, what's the reason why we don't do that? It's because then you get many specialized tools. So let's say, let's again pick me. You know, I went to this company after college, and they trained me. That training was pretty specialized. That training is worthless to me now. You know, I spent however many months being trained for that job. I I discovered I didn't like the job. I left. That was a wasted time on my part. Uh, It was wasted money on the company's part. And that was essentially all for not, I mean, it was a good lesson, I guess, for me. But aside from that, it was kind of meaningless. Um, and, And so an apprenticeship system, kind of like we're proposing, it the uh, the boundaries between where you start and where you end up uh, between career a career where you start and a career where you may want to move towards those are harder boundaries it's harder to leave where you've already started almost like sure. there's more career momentum because once it, there's a lot of sunk cost once you're on a path you can't easily leave the path and go to something else uh, and that's a downside and and a college degree ideally provides you like if you know I got an engineering degree that degree ideally provides me with a broad, uh, but still somewhat specialized and practical level of knowledge that I can use in many different fields. Whereas if I didn't get an engineering degree and just went straight to work at 
you know, a, uh, a, a software company or, or a, um, like a medical device company or whatever other company. And they trained me on the job. It would be much harder for me to move to something else afterwards. I mean, that's the, the term critical thinking, right? That's what is sort of promised vaguely by uh, your degree. You are a critical problem solver. You can be exposed to new information and think freely. Uh, well, and you are, yeah. Well, I, I don't think that college gives you that necessarily. It may hone those, those innate abilities. Um, I think that the utility in college, particularly for something like an engineering degree, is that it gives you a broad set of broadly applicable knowledge um it, and yeah there's some it sh- you know it shows that you have the perseverance and blah 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 but i think that if you were if you were an employer getting the iq test that really tells you if you get an iq test and a personality test then you basically know how successful someone's going to be um it's just a matter of how much time are you willing to put into their not how much they know um if you if you if they have a high iq you know that they have the ability to learn uh, effectively. If they have the right temperament, the right personality for your job, for your job, you know that you know they're not gonna uh, start crying under stress, or that they'll be able to be diligent, or you know whatever the case may be. You know that the only thing you don't know is whether they know the specific details relevant to your job, and that's where training could come in. So, like, I mean, I think the more efficient uh, course of action is this sort of apprenticeship world that we're proposing. I think that's great. But the economics of it might not work out. Um, you know, it's expensive to train people. You have to, I mean, on-the-job training is one thing, but you basically have to eat the cost of having an ineffective employee for a while, uh, and that's expensive. And it's a gamble that they're going to stay in right. your job and not leave. They might be less likely to leave, though. If you have a degree which makes you broadly applicable, you can leave, whereas someone might feel more invested. That I don't know. I'm not talking psycho- psychologically. That might be torture and mean, but sure, like, yes. for the company, it's a, it's a benefit that there's pressure to stay. You're specialized here. You can't leave. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, we could we could at least pitch a psychological situation in which this is beneficial for everyone because... Um, if you have a college degree, then you may come into a job with the employer expecting that you have a certain level of knowledge already. And then when you're in the real world and you find that, wait a second, I didn't learn how to do this. Well, that's that's very uncomfortable for an employee to be in that position. Whereas if the employer knows you're coming into the job with no hands-on knowledge, their expectations are set appropriately. And you come in and you learn on the job. You don't have to feel like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm supposed right. to. You feel like, I don't know what I'm doing, and you know I'm not supposed to know what I'm doing, and that's what they're teaching me for. And I guess if they took up the training, first of all, a lot of training job training programs are, are horribly ill-equipped to do. Like, you know, a lot of schools are just like, all right, go teach the curriculum. And I'm not saying my school is like that. I'm just saying that, like, that exists, right? We hired you to teach English 9. Go teach English 9. Um, here are the books. Um and or you're hired to i don't know i can imagine a lot but like when when the um expectations are adjusted accordingly like you said i know where you're at and that way like ideally they train you for maximum efficiency but if you come in like with the sort of kind of sort of knowledge like we have now like the assumptions and that are probably wrong in some cases and right in others i think a business is open to 
like whatever, they don't have as much control over their culture, right? They bring someone in who's like knows what they're doing, but they don't know exactly how this company does it. So they just don't do it the way the company does it. They do it their own way or they scoff at the rules and go, that's kind of dumb. I'm doing it my own way. And no one really stops them and your culture can slide. But by training your own employees, how you want something done and all, you have more uh, autonomy over your over your workers and your uh, your culture. I don't know if that's good for the individual worker, uh, but mm-hmm. it seems good for the company. But like you said, it's really expensive. And by year three, is there any difference between the, the educated person uh, outside of the company or the educated by the company? I don't know if like productivity would be markedly different after three years. So I just don't know. That would be interesting data, right? The long-term employee five years into the job, um, if this company trained them, would they be more efficient than they would have been if they just got their degree and then came in? I don't know. Um, well, I, I would imagine that if someone is trained on the job and persists for three years, they would be, um, they would be just, I mean, by that time, that, by that point, the gap, the skill gap between them and a college degree person would be so minimal that it almost wouldn't matter. And that means that that's the better course of action because the employee didn't have to pay for four years of college, uh, to get there. That's my guess. Right. So, Hmm. Yeah, I, I wish thoughts. that um, all good thoughts. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> that's gonna be into my new transition. My signal for like, all right, you got something new. <laughs> all good thoughts. <laughs> Stop talking about this. Stop it. Um, we are going to transition have, now, <laughs> just like papers. <laughs> I have a, I have a something brand new for us. A new segment. Ooh. Yeah. Not a retread of superpowers and drawbacks or mind your morals or any of that stuff. I love, I love those, those. But yeah. I've got a I've got a new segment that I want to try out. Oh, I bet it has a it's called, I hope it has a catchy name. Here we go. <clears throat> it's called This or That. Mm, this or that. This, it's very it's a very this. That was faster than I thought. But. There we go. Yeah, I like that I segment. Liked it though, you know? You know, you never know what you're gonna get. Okay, dun, 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 dun. Um <laughs> This or that. It's a very simple idea. It's, you know, sometimes my segments are clever. This one's not really that clever. It's very simple. I'm going to give you a bunch of binary choices. They're just two words or phrases, and you have to choose quickly. It's a quick sort of thing, a gut reaction. You have to choose this or that. You know, the first one I say or the second one I say. And And do I explain why? Not immediately the okay, metric by which series okay yeah the metric by which you're comparing these things is left totally up to you and it's really up to your gut instinct however you envision these comparisons in the instant that you hear them you make the call you say it and move on and then we'll go back and figure out why you so chose like, the like, that like you did. letting my emotional side or, or whatever like go wild and then go back afterward and logically unpack why do i think i chose that one yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, whether it's emotion or just knee-jerk yeah, or one's more familiar right. or whatever. But yeah, something it's an impulsive sort of... Me. Impulsive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, an impulsive decision between these two things. And uh, and then we'll go back and see why. Most of them will probably be obvious. Most of them will just be, you know, oh, I like this thing better. And that's a fine, that's a fine reason. Um, and some of them might be a little more complex or surprising. Who knows? We'll see. It may be really boring. I don't know. But I've got, I've got, uh, I think 
I've got a big list that I typed out today, but I think we're going to stick to only 15. Um, and and so I won't quick. remember them. Can you, can you like click what yeah. I chose or whatever? Okay, like highlight it or whatever? Um, I don't know. Maybe it might be worth marking which one I choose quickly. I don't know. I, but I I'm, actually I'm don't so have ready a, for this. I don't have a really great way to do that, but I, I will do my best um, for that. Let me move my mic so that I can... Uh, so that I can do this quick as quickly as I can. It's not going to be super quick, but you know, answer as I quickly. I should remember after I... when you go back to the choice. It'd be weird if I changed afterward. Wouldn't it be weird if once I slowed down, I changed? All right, here we go. I'm ready. I'm going to answer as quickly as I can. All right, <clears throat> here we go. This or that? Frisbee or dart? Dart. An afternoon nap or a job well done? Job well done. Phonograph or lightsaber? Phonograph. Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. Knuckle popping or a strong yawn? Strong yawn. Socks or gloves? Socks. Crossword puzzle or word search? Uh, uh, word search. <laughs> Beetle or a worm? Beetle. A furniture store or a clothing store? Clothing store. Reese's or Kit Kats? Reese's. Oven baked or char grilled? Char grilled. Spaghetti or lasagna? Ugh, neither. Uh, <laughs> lasagna. Uh, emerald or amethyst? Emerald. Um, 1776 or 1945? 1945. March or September? September. Baseball or stand up comedy? Stand up comedy. All right, there we go. That's 15. That was fun. I'm like like grinding my hands together, like pretty, like I was <laughs> really intense about it. And I wonder if there's any way to do some personality tests just on things like that. Probably so. Yeah, probably so. I mean, it kind of is a personality test in a way if I chose my categories wisely, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to analyze you. There's no trick to this. Um, it really is pure and simple. Well, I like it. I almost want to talk about my choices because, you know. Well, yeah, that's know, that's do. that's what I want to do is go back and f- ask why you chose the ones you did. And like now think about it and tell I me will. why you made the choices you did. Because and this they is might also be a all segment, over the place. Yeah. This is also a segment, by the way, that, you know, this is it's so simple. You could do it, too. Um, so, I like this. It's so simple. I could do it too. <laughs> it's so simple. You even even a Daniel could do even it. Da- even Daniel could do it. Well, it'd, right, be fun, so, it'd be fun for people to participate by yelling out loud too. I don't know. Yes. Like, see, yeah. See yeah. How yeah. close we get. It'd be satisfying to yell the same thing. Yes, it so. would be. That's. I was thinking the same thing. So. And we can right, be so enemies between, if you uh, say the other thing. Yes. <sighs> I'm so I mad at Facebook. So bad. <laughs> I'm so mad at Facebook for this bullcrap. <laughs> Especially oh, on a I, speed round of things, it's funny. It's just infuriating. Oh, all right, yeah, I'll have to uh, figure out how to not deal with this. All right, but anyway, to the task at hand. Between frisbee and dart, you chose dart. Why did you choose dart? This is interesting. I don't know. I think initially I'm just panicked. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I like frisbees better if you were to give me an option of having a frisbee going to play frisbee or going to play darts i would choose frisbee but darts are kind of sexy and sleek and cool 
and okay. it's also the word itself at the time. Frisbee's a little goofy, and I was in a pretty serious mind uh, mindset when you were like, choose. So I was like, I'm intense. I felt intense right at the beginning, and dark okay. was more intense, and that's most likely why I said it. Fair enough. That's the exact kind of thing I, I like learning those metrics. What makes what made you choose? Yeah, because it's not the thing you. I liked. It wasn't simply yeah. I like I like darts more. Like no, like I was in I was feeling intense and darts more intense. But as <sighs> we went really, on, it probably became more of what I like. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, for most of them, I figure it will just be your preference. But I don't know. Sometimes some of the wacky ones. So. All right. So between um, an afternoon nap and a job well done. Why did you choose a job well done? That actually felt like I did some thinking on the spot of which I value more, and I really value both. I like a good nap, um, but a job well done, like a pat on the back, a recognition, an affirmation of the world, like there's nothing better than that. Like a nap just doesn't compare. Like a nice nap is just sort of self-contained, but yeah, a job well done is affirming. Even if it's not someone else telling me, it's like, I it's an ego boost if I know I produce something good like even if no one tells me I have I, I can tell right and I'm like yeah I'm good and there's something healthy for me mentally about that so mental it's almost like mental health over a slight a, a pretty sizable mental health boost versus a you know very very slight physical health boost okay fair enough um I hardly need to ask, but between phonograph and lightsaber, you chose phonograph. <laughs> Why? Yeah, um, well, just aesthetics. You would, have, <laughs> you would have chosen phonograph over anything, over any <laughs> other choice. Edison bulb might have been tough. Um, oh, typewriter. <laughs> typewriter. Antique, antique. I guess all typewriters are sort of antique. Um, yeah, uh, I just... Look, if it were like an actual lightsaber, you know, the sort of like... It is actual lightsaber. Well, I mean, I guess so. But like, you're not saying, do you want one or the other? You're just saying which is more appealing to you, and which. And not, I, I wasn't I saying any. I wasn't saying anything. The metric okay. is up to you. So that's actually it. Is, then, so I wasn't interpreting it as like which would I choose if I could have a real deal lightsaber. Then yeah, I mean, but I wasn't choosing which one I would have. I was choosing which one <laughs> right. fits my aesthetic and or which one I just you know yeah that's what I'll I'll say it fits my aesthetic the phonograph. Yeah, totally 100% what I expected. I would have been shocked <laughs> if you chose lightsaber over phonograph. I would have probably just freaked um, out and been saying the wrong word for some reason. <laughs> uh, so Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan, you chose Michael Jordan. Yeah, I recently saw a Michael Jordan documentary uh, and on Netflix, like a miniseries, and it, was, it made me respect him. Well, I don't have respect for michael jackson because i've also seen the hbo documentary um that you know pretty much solidifies him as a pedophile um and so i even though his music i think is you know so awesome and um, almost timeless in in terms of pop music uh so what? do you really like, think his music is person, awesome you're not listening to his music i do i honestly do i find when it or when it, how about this I, I have maybe a pavlovian conditioning when i hear it i'm just like in a good mood so i don't know if it's because other people get in a good mood and it, i mean isn't music social to some degree not all of it and not always but but it it has a very close social ties with positive feelings to, for me whereas i i came to understand michael jordan as like a warrior a modern day warrior um, and his war was, you know, on the court and like 
he's kind of a jerk. That's appropriate. That's so he played Warriors, for the. It's appropriate. Yeah, he played for the Chicago Warriors. <laughs> yes, he did. I think. The Wizards. The Wizards. The Wizards. Late, later in his not the Warriors. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, the Chicago Warriors. Um, yeah. No. Uh, so I just respect him and like a lot. So yeah. So um, between knuckle popping and a strong yawn, you chose a strong yawn. What was your metric there? Uh, I like both, and so which which is more comf? <laughs> it was like which would give me the most relief and release. So I thought actually okay. on the spot I did think this which would um, if I really needed a yawn and could not, and I and I really wanted to pop my knuckles and could not, which would uh, be more frustrating. And I think the yawn, and so a, a luxurious long yawn is so great, and a good knuckle popping is a. Uh, the, the ceiling to the pleasure is lower than the yawn. Because the yawn, I get a huh. stretch folded into it, and, you know, a good, a good knuckle popping, like, has just a lower ceiling for me, yeah. Very interesting. When I was writing this one, when I chose it, I actually chose it because I, I wasn't sure whether your metric would be the one you chose, which one is more of a relief, or which one is more annoying to hear someone else do I wasn't uh, sure which. Yeah. Because a lot of people, a lot of people, I didn't go there. Yeah. A lot of people, when they, you know, hear knuckle popping, they cringe and you know they hate it. And and I know yeah. you in particular have a strong aversion to my yawns. So your um, yawns, yawns do not affect me in anyone. Like no, no yawn has ever bothered me. Your yawns bother me. <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. I don't have a thing against yawns. I have a thing against Bennett yawns. <laughs> I've never been mad at anyone for yawning. That's the funny thing, <laughs> except for you. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. my mind doesn't, I don't hear yawns and kind of get triggered by, like, oh, that's that's a pet peeve of mine. It's just your yawns, this particular pitch you hit. Yeah. Anyway, you can imagine. All right, so um, between socks and gloves, you chose socks. Why? I don't, like, how, how, many, how many gloves have you worn in your life? Like, okay, probably every time Seven. you've gone skiing. Seven, seven or eight. Okay, seven. So, and how many socks have you worn? Uh, probably twelve. <laughs> so, like, double. <laughs> um, I, I literally just I, I bought a pair of no show socks off of Amazon. I went cheap, which is not my usual style, but I had oh, lots. Man. You can have to of show reviews. me those. And so it was on the mind, like 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 right before the podcast, I was putting them away. Actually, so yeah, they were no shows, and like they might be great. I can't show you them actually, so uh, um, you know by virtue of the name, and so they were inexpensive and, and they're on my mind. And like a good sock is is like something I would research. Whereas if I ha- I needed, I just not in a situation where gloves are valuable to me. So just overall, very easy call. There's no metric by which glove wins, I guess, unless I'm like freezing. But then I'd still probably want if I'm outside freezing, I'd probably want socks over gloves if i had to choose between so there, yeah i can't just i just cannot well, figure a situation in which so, uh, gloves win what if you're picking up picking up trash um okay good point <laughs> yeah that's a good one uh if i'm picking up I trash, mean, definitely- if I'm only if i'm doing something with my hands <laughs> you know yeah uh, if i'm picking I mean, up there are trash situations feet, where gloves are more socks. valuable than socks yeah. Uh, oh yeah, of course, right? As a surgeon, or if you have blood, if you're sorting through blood with your, it's just the the obvious thing is you're like not using your feet, but you're using your hands. Then gloves are gonna be more valuable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
All right. Uh, between crossword puzzle and word search, you really hesitated on this one and went with word search. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh, crossword puzzle actually is what I would have answered. I think I just panicked and <laughs> knew I needed an answer, and so um, I find crossword puzzles interesting, uh, wordplay and all that. Word search are more juvenile. I'm more likely to do so if I'm let's say let's say we're out to dinner and for some reason I have the kids menu and I've asked for crayons. That's not that unusual. Well, there's not a lot of <laughs> words. Ser- there are word searches frequently, and they're almost never. Um, well, that's not true, but. Uh, Crossword puzzles are rare, but I will just do the word search. I could talk to you and do a word search. Um, word searches are just juvenile, and so I just that doesn't appeal to me as much as something more engaging. So if my if my metric is engagement, I'm choosing word search. Or I mean, <laughs> crossword. Uh, funny how that doesn't come right like quickly to me. Those you, I, like I think I've always tripped them up in my mind. I have a ve- I know they're very different, and I don't actually mis- say it out loud. But I have to think about it when they when you put them right by each other. Um, hmm. It's like roulade and marmalade for me. I know the difference, right. but like in my mind, I go, wait a second, and then I get there. Is it crosswords and word searches, same thing. Yeah, I would definitely choose word search. I like word searches much better than crossword puzzles. Really. Yeah, I had no idea. I'm, I, yeah, I'm. I consider it among one of my many talents that I'm really good at word searches. I can do word searches really fast. In fact, in third grade, we we would have multiple class wide word searches, and I won multiple times. I'm just really good at word searches. <laughs> Part of all, your identity. Out of all the third grade class, we had like 16 kids or something. Um, <laughs> And I was really good at word searches. Crossword puzzles, they're fine. I don't hate crossword puzzles. But I'll tell you that I get annoyed by crossword puzzles because it requires it requires trivia knowledge. Uh, yeah. And like when I'm doing a crossword puzzle and I see, oh, the actress that played in this Broadway play, I'm like, I don't know that. I would never know that. This has ceased being fun. Right. Um, That's fair. Now, it's the, just I would have... The part I do I enjoy crossword. about crossword puzzles. I'm sorry. <laughs> the the part I do enjoy about crossword puzzles is the figuring out. You know, oh, I don't know this Broadway play, but I know that the second letter is an A and the fourth letter is a Y or whatever. And you know, figuring that out that's fun. But there's so much trivia in there that I just get frustrated, and I'm like, nah, I don't care about this anymore. I believe we were in Japan together when I had recently downloaded this crossword daily puzzle and we'd play oh, yeah, it sometimes. That's right. It was a lot of fun. Like for some reason we were pretty yeah. good at it and it was just something to do. And so I I link that right into like Bennett's word game wheelhouse, whereas I think of word searches as juvenile. So I would have lost money betting you would have chosen crossword puzzle. Yeah, I mean you're I don't disagree with you. It's like word searches are more juvenile. I just like them better than crossword puzzles. Um uh-huh. Maybe because part of it is stress relief and like it's satisfying to quickly, just to quickly find all the words. Yeah. Like that's kind of satisfying. Whereas crossword puzzles, they make you think, but it's not that figuring something out isn't that satisfying. But I do love <laughs> word, I do love word games. You're right, and like I, I still like crossword puzzles. But unscrambling words, searching for words, I, I just like that a lot better. That's why I like Scrabble so much. Did you ever get into Sudoku? Like, is that something you were into? I've no, I've tried it, but I don't really like it. I don't know. It's not I fun. To totally me. think you would. I never got into it enough, though. No, I don't find it fun. Um, I find it kind of annoying, hmm. just because I don't know. I mean, I've I've only done it a handful of times. Uh, you know, I've stuck with it a little bit, 
but I don't know, just solving them, it's kind of a brute force method. It just becomes like, oh, let me write these tiny numbers in the squares until I figure, you know, by process of elimination, figure out which one it is, and I don't know. I'm sure that people can get so they can how do, they can how build are, some intuition. Yeah, the people that are really good at it are they? They're not just doing brute force. Yeah. No, I'm sure you build some intuition for it, but you know, I, I hadn't built the intuition, and I can't imagine that building that intuition is super amazingly fun. I don't know. Maybe it is for people, but not for me. Hmm. All right, uh, beetle and worm. You chose beetle. Why? Uh, the, the metric was grossness and which would I rather, um, like handle in my hands. Cause I suppose if you had said we have to eat one, I would choose worm even though they're, cause they'd both be unpleasant, but cracking through that exoskeleton would be disgusting in a beetle and it's little legs and stuff if I had to bite <laughs> into it. But if I'm just, my metric of grossness was like if I had to handle one or beetles are actually really not gross to me. In fact, a lot of beetles look in terms of bugs and insects they seem very clean like their shell can be smooth they can have bright colors they can have little horns and be spotted sometimes like they just seem not as uh they're unusually not gross their factor of grossness is low on the in the insect world but in just my random opinion i guess they're not slimy they look very dry and clean and colorful and then by contrast you've got this i mean earthworms or worms are i went to earthworm you didn't say earthworm did you you just said worm but, yeah, I just said worm. But they're they're slimy and brown and gross and whatever. And so they're like, the contrast is stark and it was just easy for me to go beetle. Like no no doubt when I was answering, I said beetle. Fair enough. Um, so f- between furniture store and clothing store, you chose clothing store. That's Why? a tough one. I mean, I just value fashion more than I value furniture, and uh, that's not a, that's not useful. Um, because <laughs> that's the whole point. Um, I'm currently into fashion. I've already made my furniture choices. And so fashion is on the ever present horizon. I am always looking because I can always use a new shirt or a pair of pants or some underwear or something. So I can always see what sort of technical fabrics and fun stuff and slim fits and six way stretches and woven versus (laughs) knitted and, you know, hydrophobic stuff. I love, I love all that stuff. And I also love cool furniture, but it's more like that. I play with clothes the way I, I I buy furniture on an as needed basis. And I will play once I go, all right, I need a desk. I will like play looking at all the funky desks and like, I will have fun with it. But then I get my desk and I'm like done, but I've been known to buy a shirt and then Go ahead and buy another shirt too, you know, because the investment's much smaller. Uh, so yeah, I just am more likely to go play in terms of uh, yeah. So I'd go. My metric was playfulness, I suppose, joy and shopping and uh, how often. Because I'd say the joy is about the same, but the frequency is higher with clothes. It's really funny when I was writing this. My metric. It- that just came to my mind is which one is more boring. And I, I, str- I struggled really hard with that and, and I don't have to answer. So I just wrote them both down, but that was my metric is which is more boring. And I couldn't determine which one was more boring. That If you asked me, if you played this or that, and you said furniture store or clothing store, that would be one where I hesitated and was like, oh, I don't know, because my metric would be which one is more boring, and then I wouldn't be able to You decide. and I both might go, uh, for a second, and we're doing it for very yeah. different reasons. For very, very totally opposite reasons, yeah. <laughs> that's All a, right, that's um, 
between Reese's and Kit Kats, you chose Reese's. It's Why? the obvious taste, and Reese's, I would put, at, you, you're half in the list, Reese's is arguably, arguably my favorite chocolate candy. Like, it, that's it. And so, if you would say Kit Kat and Twix, now I really like both of those. I mean, Kit Kat's no slouch. Kit Kats are great, but um, there's just no contest with Reese's. Reese's is going to dominate all, any chocolate you would have said. So it would have been more interesting to say Kit Kat or Twix, and then I just don't know. But um, Yeah, fair, fair enough. It would have been the same for, for me as well. Reese's are my favorite too. So. I guess you, you'd stick away, stay away from food because the metric becomes more obvious. I noticed you well, didn't say a lot of food. It could be gross stuff, possibly, or I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I still think food is worthwhile to put in this or that because a lot of people listening are going to disagree with any of the choices we put sure. in. So that's fine. Just because just because it's an obvious choice to you doesn't mean it's obvious. Isn't it weird everyone. that I played that game and I could be net more likable or less likable to people just because I yes. said some one of two words? Like maybe that's the greater yes. point of this is like they feel closer or more disconnected to me yeah and that's absurd in a way. <laughs> yeah yes in a way that is I, this seems I like this could be the too. thing of dating profiles like you both like you sign up live for something you've matched with like it just pairs you with someone random so it's like bennett and amanda and then you go through rapid fire and you're both swiping and you can kind of oh, see like or yeah, it reveals that's interesting it would be like fun and then talk about your choices if you want um that would be kind of fun i don't know like there's some gamification there this is like i like that so well it's the third space podcast gamification we did it first yes you heard it first Copy, here folks copyright 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 trademark trademark that's it that's the reserved word. reserved uh, all rights um, all of them. all of all of the all rights of, <laughs> all of your rights are reserved <laughs> um all right oven baked or char grilled you chose char grilled yes uh i just char grilled flame kissed like easy for me oven baked uh, baking is probably the f- one of the more boring forms of cooking basically it's like do you want baked yeah. chicken or do you want like flame grilled and char grilled like are you kidding me right now you know the only thing yeah. worse than baking i think it gets into boiled boil yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so it pan seared is awesome sounding too but i think yes. when you get into uh char grilled and flame kissed like that flame kiss is just the the, the funny adjective almost but yeah like yeah. easy for I, me it's just taste i knew i, I knew taste. you would pick that one i knew 100 you would pick that one just like the phonograph one like i i knew there was no contest there do you so. feel like you would too though like are you in a, are you in agreement with me or is there yes a... I, I am i mean even like you you have the funny uh connection to the words um and to the i guess the feeling that uh, you know comes from the words but you also have an objective standard, and I do too, that grilled food tastes better than baked food more often. So Yeah, I think that's what happened. And then I got emotionally attached to it, like flame yes. kissed and stuff. So, But I yeah, did I'm for all... a reason, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so spaghetti and lasagna, uh, you had a hard time with this one. You chose lasagna. I don't care enough. Um, <laughs> I've never ordered spaghetti or lasagna ever from like a restaurant. Um, if someone says we're having spaghetti tonight, my mom made this sort of, I'd have to ask her like spaghetti, like unlike I've ever had. And I suspect not because it's high quality, but I like it more. It's just thicker sauce. And like, she just grinds the meat up. It's not meatballs. There's just meat all throughout it. Like, and it just, anyway, that's just a trip down memory lane. It was unlike any other spaghetti I've ever had. Um, but lasagna, I guess you could get into different cheeses and ricotta and, and like, there's some layers and 
and there's just more to do. I guess you, what we have spaghetti and meatballs, but like you're pretty limited. You can get a few different sauces, I'm sure. But yeah, but there's great poems written about lasagna. <laughs> Gosh, throwback, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just, I would just, if I had, if you said you got to eat lasagna for a month or spaghetti for a month. And you can order all the different kinds you want. I have a feeling the fatigue of lasagna would be less. Like I could handle the dip throwing. I'm going to hate both. I'm going to be very bored. I'm bored by, of lasagna by the time I'm done eating it. Like I, I'm, I'm bored of it now. Just you talking about it has like really reset my like desire. <laughs> I'd say I eat lasagna less than once a year. And yeah. you've already filled my lasagna and spaghetti quotient by just discussing it and making me consider it. We're we're actually very similar. Uh, everything you've said, I basically agree with, down to the fact that I've never ordered either one ever. Um, By the way, it's not so. gross either. I wouldn't be like if if someone's mom, like if, you know, if my girlfriend's mom made this, she's like so proud of her lasagna. Like I I would just have no issue being like, mm, like I mean, I'm sure it'd be a, you know above average, right? If if it's her yeah. dish and like if she wanted to make it every time, I wouldn't dread it. I'd just be like. This is a bland, to me, like a boring meal. I don't, that's got that's probably an unpopular opinion. I'd like to know how many. I think do, so. Do people love lasagna. I think they do. I think I think people love lasagna and spaghetti. I think that people hate us now. <laughs> yeah, well, they have just bad opinions, you know. <clears throat> yeah, I don't like spaghetti, and I have no regretty. <laughs> but do you feel similar? Do you not? It's not only. It's just like I don't want it, but I don't feel passionate about it. It's just. Yes. Uh, well, so I definitely prefer lasagna to spaghetti. I have eaten lasagna that I thought was tasty. I've never eaten spaghetti that I thought that was tasty. It was just a thing I put in my mouth and swallowed. Um, <laughs> lasagna is, you know, cheesy, and I've had very cheesy lasagna that was pretty tasty. But I still would never order it. There's always something better than lasagna, and definitely something better than spaghetti. So, and and I have extra distaste for spaghetti because when I was a kid. My uh, my grandpa would make spaghetti like once a week, and he used this watery sauce and with big chunks of tomato in, in it, <laughs> and it was just gross. And I hated it. It was my least favorite meal that he would make. So yeah, spaghetti, no good. Would you rather have the best lasagna you've already you've ever had, like the one uh-huh. the one the best one you've actually ever had? You get it again, or the bottom five percent of pizza you've ever had that is not pizza. messed up? It's just. Okay, the pizza already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pe- yeah, pizza. Like a Papa John's pizza or something. Yeah, just I'd a little have. older and not fresh Papa John's. But like it's not bad. It's not gone. It's not going to give you stomach oh, issues. So, all yeah. right. So let me let me rethink. Let me rethink this and try to be fully transparent. Because actually at the restaurant I used to work at in high school and college, we had lasagna there um, rarely. But it was, go- it was pretty good. It was very cheesy. Would they do anything um, like pretty- goat cheese or something fancy? Yeah, there was some fancy cheese in there, um, and it was pretty tasty. And you know, if you're telling me that this is kind of old, you know, not fully heated Papa John's pizza versus this melty cheese yeah. gourmet it's t- lasagna. It's two-day-old. Your mom heated it up in the microwave for you, but you came down uh, five minutes later. So it's just, you know, <laughs> that's what you're getting. Yeah, okay. I think I would choose the lasagna in this case. That delicious lasagna. You know, I think I would that. too. But like, even so, then, I'd just be like, uh, order the pizza, whatever. But, <laughs> like, it's pretty but I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't let it affect my opinion of it, though. That's for damn sure. I would, I would eat that lasagna and say, yeah, I'd probably rather have pizza than this. I wouldn't be happy about it. 
That's the that's the <laughs> ultimate goal. I eat that lasagna, but I wouldn't be happy about it. Is Papa this John's is freaking delicious. <laughs> What's your least favorite fast or yeah, just call fast food pizza whatever that is. Uh, well, that's hard to say. There's probably a bunch of crappy ones that you know I've had like once in like the middle of nowhere that are like you know non chains like, ha- or something. Hungry Howies or something. Yeah. Yeah, Hungry Howies is pretty pretty not that good. But Papa John's, I don't like the taste of their sauce. It's too sweet. Yeah, it's actually, distinct. Yeah. I'll actually avoid Papa John's pizza if I can. Um, but I don't know. Other than that, like at least the big chains are pretty. You know, they're all pretty edible. That's the I mean, thing. Domino's is amazing. Their pan pizza, like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Domino's like, is Domino's is one that I like a lot. I also like Jet's pizza, which, you know, is not as widespread, but there's one here where I am, and I really like it. It's like Little Caesars, but better quality. Uh, they have rectangular pizzas in their deep dish, and there's lots of cheese. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it's competitive with, with Domino's. All right, move it, moving forward. Emerald or Amethyst? Uh, you chose Emerald. Why? Because I don't know what amethyst is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, should have saved em- that for Daniel does science. I'm embarrassed. I'm actually gonna Google that. What? How do you spell it? Daniel does geology. It's a purple crystal. A M E T H Y S T. Okay. It's less valuable, and uh, I mean, emerald is kind of the obvious choice. Oh, I've seen uh-huh. that. It's those purple, where they half cracked open rock looking thing, and it's all crystally looking. A lot of those are popping up. Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah, I guess Amethyst isn't a geode. Um, A geode, yeah. But yeah, Yeah, I'd still go with Emerald, even with the knowledge of both. Um, Yeah, I choose Emerald because Sonic the Hedgehog collects the Chaos Emeralds. (laughs) No one collects Chaos Amethyst. Those don't even do anything. (laughs) And the the greenness of it, or the Emerald color, I suppose, is is really pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1776 and 1945. You chose 1945. Why? Uh, because more current. And then I'm more okay. like, you know, if I were to have a pizza from one of those two years, I'd probably <laughs> want to, you know, have a pizza. If I were, if I were to Fair. exist in one of those two years, I'd probably exist in 1945. Just, you know, more current. Fair enough. <laughs> it was actually the stupidest. Uh, I was like, well, yeah, okay. And you, March and September, you chose September for the same reason, I assume. Uh, closer to my just, birthday, or just more, <laughs> more current, just more recent, more recent, yeah, in my just mind. more current. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's birthday's in September. That's what I thought. I was like, okay, I had a reason, like, and and I'm bad with birthdays. I know very few people's birthdays, but no one's birthday came to mind, and 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 my dad's went <laughs> out for September. Um, you know, and uh, you know, nine eleven, like that's a thing. So <laughs> weird to say. <laughs> It is a thing. It's just like when you're flash going. What's the significance of the month? Like those are like right. those two things. My dad' birth, my dad's birthday and nine eleven. Those are like two things that came to mind. Um, baseball and stand up comedy. You chose stand up comedy. Yeah, uh, baseball. Just uh, I have nothing against it. Look, but like I don't care. Uh, I have trouble caring uh, at all. Stand up comedy. I. Uh, it, it, the idea appeals to me like and i'm also if you think of stand-up comedians is like it, there's very few professions in which you're paid to sort of speak publicly and tell narratives and engage an audience and like a, com- a comedian's expected to do a set like like 
on the spot, get up and be funny. And that's one of the most difficult challenges. So if you are able to do that, like much respect. Um, because it's so contrived, right? Get up and be funny. And everyone's expecting this person's a comedian, go. And so they have to really be artful in their story. And so anyone who's, they're sort of mastering their craft and getting the, I mean, from listening to comedians in their interviews is like, and you hear them, hearing them retell their jokes, it's amazing how much they have down word, not only word for word, but like the pauses, feeding off the audience, the mannerisms. And so that's just, as someone who respects public speaking skills, I, I can really be enthralled behind all of the work that goes into producing a good stand-up comedy. And I, I share some kinship as a teacher. Uh, not, I'm, I'm certainly no stand-up comedian, but like I get it. I get what it means to feed off a nay. crowd. Uh, there's some kinship nay. there. So. <laughs> yeah, you got my nay joke, right? I'm there. So there. And then baseball, I have no relationship to. I have a relationship to stand-up comedy in the form of teaching and making jokes and valuing humor and because education that. is a joke nowadays. Yeah, 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 man. <laughs> Everyone's a comic. That's what Everyone's a comic of education. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. I don't like stand-up comedy. I'm not a fan. So which would you choose in that scenario? I guess you can't play the game because you've thought about it considerably. Yeah, I can't play the game with those choices. Um, I would have, I think I would have chosen baseball. Uh, even though, you know, we, well, I have yet to fix baseball. I can fix baseball. You played but, baseball, uh, you know. I did you, play so baseball. It, would it be a relationship reason for choosing? Or would you rather go to a baseball game than a, a stand-up comedy routine? And is that why? Ugh, I would rather go to neither one. Um, but you could see a thing stay. like you, me, and David just go into a baseball game and like walking around the stadium yeah. and like talking and stuff, being an enjoyable experience. I assume like that wouldn't be so bad. Just like yes. on a nice day. And yeah, you're right. We don't I mean, care about I, the game that much. I have. Like, yeah, I've gone to a baseball game under those circumstances, and it and it was fun. It was fun. But yeah. I mean. You know, if I had the choice, I would rather hang out with my friends not at a baseball game. And, <laughs> You know, there's some more interesting stadiums. Stadiums are crazy. Any stadium is fun. They're wild construction, so just exploring them is interesting to me. And and that's why I would have chosen it. I would have chosen baseball because there are things about baseball that I find interesting. Like the stadiums are cool. Like I like. I think the aesthetic of the green grass and the the brown, you know, dirt and the diamond. Like I think that all looks very cool and aesthetic and. you know the the physics of throwing a pitch and smacking it with a bat, and the thrill of a home run or grand slam happening, like those are all cool things. But you know they they make up a teeny tiny portion of the baseball game experience. But contrast that with the stand up comedy, which I just I don't enjoy it. I uh, like I don't I don't find most stand up comics funny. Like it's just so apparent that it's not genuine it's a it's an act i can't get past that i can't suspend my disbelief for stand-up comedy and it just i don't know it doesn't doesn't make it through to me and i just find myself getting more annoyed when i watch it yeah fair enough so there we go that was this or that i like so, it it's a, yeah it, i like it too it's kind of fun it could be so like i like the uh the idea of starting a podcast with like a philosophical like exploration of ideas and then the this or that is a little it's lighthearted and it just justify your sort of arbitrary metrics that pop into your head and that's fun yeah 
Yeah, yeah. It's very lighthearted, and like I think it's a good starter segment because you know you can pick on any one of those things, and it starts a conversation. Like we kind of did that yeah. multiple times. I didn't expect it to take as long as it did, um, but it was fun. So yeah. I like it. Let's do it again. We Not right now, but yeah. on a future podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I have a I have another thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, and it's not. Uh, I guess it's not not a huge topic. Um. But I want to talk about uh, identity, and it kind of ties into some of the things you were talking about uh, when you were talking about edu- education earlier. Um. So first off, let me just ask you what what is your identity? Ugh. <laughs> that, that feels so loaded when you say that. My head goes in a bunch of different directions. Really? I'll answer you. The first thing was like, uh, I'm a teacher and a son and a boyfriend and a friend. Um, okay. Like, And so I guess that's almost the titles, the hats I wear. That's sort of what came to mind. And, th- okay. and then the second layer that washed over me was the sort of a politically imposed or loaded term where I'm like, you know, cisgendered, straight, white, male thing. And then that made me go, ugh, because that feels <laughs> like that's imposed on me or that's just sort of, that's just sort of some given things that don't reflect. And then the sort of third wave for me is like, my identity is in things like uh, intellectual discussion and where can those be found, like whether it's a talk on the phone or watching a really good movie or reading a really good book. Um, Not just an intellectual conversation, but a playful and funny one. So humor and intellect and wit are things I value. Uh, Also adventure, sense of adventure, like wanting to explore. And that also actually falls into like curiosity so curiosity has adventure and intellect folded into it like i want to know more and what's over here and what is this all about so there's a sort of a short answer for you perfect that's exactly uh that's exactly what i wanted you basically out outlined all the things that i wanted to kind of talk about a little bit so um it went, one of the one of the things that i thought about when i was thinking about how to introduce the topic was um, the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic identity. So you know, when you say, what is your identity, depending on your context, you know, if you're standing at like an airport, uh, you know, check booth or whatever, then, and someone says, what is your identity? You're not going to give them the same answer that you just gave me. You're going to hand them, you know, your passport or your ID yeah, and yeah. they're going to look at it and go, okay, you're Daniel. So come on. Um, and that's not what we're talking about. That's extrinsic identity. That's kind of like what, how other people perceive you, uh, you know, who you are, what you look like, who you are, that kind of thing. Um, but intrinsic identity is, you know, how you how you view yourself um, or the uh, what you listed. You know, you a teacher. All the levels that you listed are intrinsic identity, or at least can be considered intrinsic identity. So that's what I want to. Uh, I think that's the more interesting one because you know we don't. No one cares what you look like. Really. Yeah, the topic, um, surface level, the topical stuff. Like, okay, yeah, yes. Yeah, the answer is like yes, really but it's hard to talk about. It's like these. The, I'm this tall and this many pounds. It's like there's not much to say beyond that. You could get into like what's proper weight, I suppose, but there's just not much room to explore. Right. The intrinsic part is what's really interesting because there's a psychological component to it. Um, 
And uh, so that's that's kind of what I want to talk about. Uh, and the but I want to approach. It's a topic that's as you noted. Uh, it's just out there. There's a political component to it that's tiring, uh, and that's that's not the way I want to look at this topic. Um, if you're okay with it, instead of doing this kind of top-down abstract look at identity, I kind of want to try a bottom-up uh, approach. And I'll tell you that my reasoning for this. <clears throat> it's because I think a lot of people, especially young people, struggle with identity, uh, intrinsic identity in particular. Um, you probably have more experience observing this than I do. But people struggle with who they are, who they want to be, um, naturally and, right that's it's like they're becoming they're evolving literally they're human yeah. human not beings but human becomings you know <laughs> oh that's catchy that's a good teacher phrase you should write a poem um, yeah. yeah you should write a poem about that so but yeah they struggle with it by necessity as you say but maybe this is maybe this isn't accurate but it seems like they struggle now maybe more than they have in the past and perhaps a reason for that is because they're their potential path is influenced so much more by entertainment, um, social media, and so on. There, there are many paths from all over the country and all over the world that they're exposed to, and there's just a lot of noise, um, and it's hard to determine. It's hard to, to look inward and figure out what your identity is when you have all of this noise out there. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that it would be it's a it's a valuable exercise to actually analyze your identity and try to get some self-awareness and self-knowledge and so my kind of my goal with this topic is that uh i think that you first off you're not a teenager anymore and so you've already kind of found your identity somewhat your identity is pretty solid at this point yeah i have a stronger um, not, sense not, of self than i did yeah that's a good definitely. way to put it I don't think anyone's identity is necessarily ever totally hardened and everyone is it's always changing. Yeah, you're right. But 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 I think that you're a pretty a, a pretty stable person, you're successful, you're happy, your life is pretty pretty good. Um like you, yeah. you're thank, not in thank any you, Bennett. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you're welcome. But you're not in any depressive state. You don't have any major crises affecting you. And so if you'll allow me to make an assumption, I would assume that however you've structured your identity, all the categories you laid out and how much importance you put on each one, whatever you've done and however you've arranged your identity, it's worked. Or at least it's not been a barrier to you. Um, and so if, if you're okay with the more personal nature of this, I kind of want to ask you about some of the popular identity categories and just see how important they are to you and how much of your identity is wrapped up in any one of those categories and try to figure out, you know, how your strategy works for assessing your identity. This, this feels big and epic, but I'm ready for to try. I feel like once you ask questions, I'll start to understand more. But yeah, I appreciate the compliment. Basically, I'm a good test subject because I'm thoughtful enough. I have enough I've had enough success that I I have a sense of self. I'll be able to articulate my thoughts on how I arrived and why I'm here and how much value I place on whatever the question may be. So, right. yeah, hit and, me with it. And, and, and of course, you know, there's the obvious disclaimer that the way you identify, um, you know, is not going to hold true for everyone. But I think that uh, 
that maybe the strategy you use for deciding how much you identify with any given category will be useful to anyone listening because like I say you, the results the, the the truth is in the pudding you have a pretty <laughs> you have a pretty stable good life and you know you, you don't have identity crises that often so not that often uh, must be doing something right so <clears throat> all right so uh, like none of these are too wild and you already went through a bunch of really really good ones but like why don't we start with um, why don't we start with sex? So whether you're male or female, you're you're a man, obviously. So how much does how much does being a man? How much of your identity is being a man? Well, these are tough to answer, um, but certainly. Oh, uh, and if I can, if I can put one more uh, one more difficult question to you okay. for, for each of these, if you can try, just try to gut instinct ballpark a percentage of your identity that it makes up um, oh and you know, they don't, I, I they, don't 100%. All, they don't all add up to equal 100 though or are you saying yes they should they should oh okay well, they then. should i i know i'm giving you a kind of impossible task and you, you can always go back and adjust it or whatever but just ballpark it maybe it doesn't have to be a number you can just tell me very I'll important try. i'll try to, kind yeah. of important i'll whatever. try my best so let me back up and say I used to would have said less. Like, look, I am a man. That is a fact. But, like, th- this is a body I'm contained within. and But my thoughts are, like, separate from this body. And I would have said, like, so being a man does not shape my interpretation of things. Like, that's, like there's Daniel and then there's the body. Um, but as I've been... I mean, I guess in the last five, six, seven, eight years, I don't know. I don't know exactly when, but I started to realize that, like, I'm deeply physical, whether I like it or not. Like, my out, my literally my outlook on the world, if you caught me and tried to have a podcast when my alarm goes off in the morning, I would just be like, the world sucks and everything's horrible. And, like, then I kind of wake <laughs> up and my worldview has shifted. But if I haven't had a meal or if I have a headache and being constrained to that physicality and like so i started working out and feeling better and i had more energy and i'm like i just i'm making obvious connections and saying something that seems fairly obvious but i think if we just realized how deeply physical we are like that's an important realization and if that's true then like my xy chromosomes like are doing something and shaping who I am and it's inextricable so I, I I'm going to uh, I don't know what number percentage especially because I don't know how many categories you're gonna give me and stuff but like it's not nothing um, I don't know I'm actually in the process of figuring that out um, I even you know some of my upbringing suggested like this is your you have some duties that are, you know, in terms of yes. society to how to behave. And I think that's what you're touching on more to, or possibly as well. And like, yes. I feel that sense of duty still, um, whether that's a little bit as, as protector to some degree, or, I mean, I'm getting into interesting territory, but like, I do feel that. Um, okay. And I feel, I feel that heightened. We just had a lockdown drill or a, a, an open shooter drill, um, at our school about where to go, what to do. And I just like, I, I channeled some of my identity as a man or as leader of the classroom. I understand that those are like, those are different things and you don't have, you can be leader of the classroom and obviously be a woman. But like, I just was sure. like, listen, if, uh, if they come in, if, if in this dark situation in which a sh- shooter comes in, like 
I'm sacrificing myself. And if I knock the person down, you, you, the, the idea is that you pile on. You don't just sit there like a duck, you know, sitting duck. And so, um, anyway, like sit there like a duck. <laughs> don't be a duck who sits don't a, there. Don't be a duck on a log, as they say. But my, my point is that like I think I was on some level channeling some sense of duty that had been intertwined. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, can we just move on to another? I've, I've explored that idea now. So yeah, it's and it it's into my relationship. I open the door for my girlfriend every time we get in a car, and that's almost just a playful little romantic gesture that I've just not stopped. Right, and some people might right. say it's antiquated, or well, you could say a whole lot of things with crit- criticisms, but that's all nonsense. Like, stop it. We like it. It's adorable. Like, whatever. And like yeah. that is, but that's intertwined with being a man, and like to some small degree. Um, and yeah. I, I think, and I don't feel ashamed of that. I kind of like it, and so yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think it's kind of important. There we go. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm definitely 100% on board with that. And to to me. That sounds like a very healthy, uh, a very healthy relationship with, uh, with that. It's not, it's not the first thing you would choose to identify with necessarily. When I asked you what your identity is, you didn't. That's I'm not the first thing you said. I'm a man, man. You, you know, you said other things, but, but I think it's important to to uh, to embody the traits of um, the best traits of your sex, being a protector or um uh or, or being uh you know, chivalrous as they would say you know those are those yeah. are good traits so all right so what about uh what about age what about you know identifying as a young man or you know whatever like um yeah yeah um, does that does that play a part in your identity uh, and, and obviously that changes over time so so yeah i would say I'm still in that. I'm very much in the young professional category, and I get labeled sort of a young, enthusiastic teacher. Um, and so, if we're just doing young, like yeah, like because I'm young. Well, that's it's chicken or egg. It's not because I get the label of young or because I know I'm young. That's why I bounce around the classroom. So I should not conflate youth and energy. I think that's a mistake because I suspect I will be an old man teacher bouncing around the room and people will be like, oh, he's got all that energy. He's just Daniel the teacher. <laughs> I almost said my name. <laughs> You're yeah. like, please don't say it. Please don't say it. Um, I don't want to edit this. But I like bouncing around the room. I really think I will be. I legitimately do. Uh, so that's a per- that's a different thing than, than young. Um I have always been very, very conscious of uh, being the youngest teacher in the institutions and the youngest in the meetings. And very recently, uh, it seems like I am now the, the still in the young category, but I'm the second way. I'm not the first. I'm not the youngest, youngest. And right. so and the youngest seem significantly less experienced, frankly, like like from my uh, work positioning. So right. uh, that's interesting to me. Um, of course, they're interesting. So, I don't say that as a pejorative or like you know. It's just they are. So yeah, no, not that much. Then my age doesn't mean that much to me. To your identity, not, would you not say that? I, I mean, I'm. I think I'm on board with you. Uh, what this is a theory uh, that I'm just throwing out there. I think that when you're when you are young you identify more with your age and when you're old you identify more with your age but when you're you know in the middle like when you're 
between yeah. like 26 and 56 or somewhere in that range, your age just kind of doesn't matter yeah, as much my, to, your, I, I to your identity. A, I have several close friends and colleagues that I hang out with on a regular basis that are closer on the that would you say like 56 and i'm closer to the 26 so it's like very and it doesn't when we're hanging out like yeah there's different life stages that that they've, they've been married and had kids and stuff but like sure. when we're just hanging out and chatting like we're just hanging out and chatting and making dumb fart jokes it's like it's kind of refreshing it's like yeah like this is the the playfulness that they have i had a conceptualization of what it would be like to be in your 50s and i was as a kid, you know, you think that's like older mm. and fuddy-duddy Ancient, and they're yeah. not, and they're not. And so, and I don't think I will be. And it's just kind of refreshing. Um, I'll also say this. Yeah. It's about your, like when I'm around my parents, I, I kind of revert to this. I'm a little whinier or like short tempered. <laughs> sometimes I am, I'm just notably more whiny or just, there's no, I don't put on airs I'm around my parents. My mom says something that annoys me and has always annoyed me. I, I just am quick to respond negatively and I love her to death. That's just like, that's me being a bratty teenager again, almost. It's like, it's, it's the comfort zone. So it's that role. Whereas yeah. if I'm walking into a school and I'm the youngest teacher, like there's some deference like that I feel like I have to exercise or like I am like low person on the t- totem pole. But generally speaking, I don't think of like my age and my identity be- being intertwined. I just notice that if I'm young or old in a situation, because I'm the oldest in the classroom as a teacher, obviously, when I'm teaching whatever grade I'm teaching. And so, yeah, I step it up as role model and I behave accordingly. So... Okay. That sounds, I mean, again, that sounds like a healthy way to do it. I I was going to ask if you think, um, if you think young people should put, generally speaking, should put less, uh, should identify less with their age and same for old people. Old people should identify less with their age, uh, or, or whether it's important to have that. But I think maybe your reasoning for having some deference to your elders or being a role model for people younger than you, that, is actually a good reason for for some sort of identity um, to be tied up or a, to identity to be tied up in age. But the, what gets funny to me is like I teach juniors and seniors and they're mixed in there and they see juniors see the seniors as way older and then seniors are, see the juniors as way younger and I don't know who's a junior or a senior in my class and don't care right, right? I mean so, I kind of do so, by this point but you know and they're acting weird around each other and they're kind of nervous like oh it's weird having all these older kids it's like what that's right. when that's when they shouldn't that's exactly when they should yes. not care Right, exactly. So, like, you know, if I'm asking you to quantify these things, if if I was asking one of your juniors to quantify these things, you know, they might say, "Oh, yeah, my, you know, I'm a I'm a man, so you know, we'll give that five percent, and I'm, you know, seventeen or however old they are as a junior, um, and so I'll do yeah. that. But I'm a I'm also a junior, and I would give that five percent. They would give the year in high school they are as five percent, and like to, to anyone outside yeah, it, of that position, that sounds ludicrously high. It does, but also I I can't be blind to the fact that like it means something as a senior, you're head of the school, so to speak, as your student leaders, and like like that comes with the territory. So maybe it is nice to sort of climb this manufactured totem pole of like or this hierarchy, and like it's just healthy. And for us, we kind of chuckle as adults going. I mean, this is one year apart, whatever. 
but like to them it's this sort of epic journey through all of high school and now I go high school's four years like for some reason people be like there's high school there's college and then there's the adult life as if that's about a third each you know that's your life right right and they one is they're, one, they're both four years I mean college can be longer depending on the degree and you know but the, the point is, like, we've done something weird where we've elevated the high school experience to these epic, I mean, it's formative years. So, like, one dumb little embarrassing moment can stick with you and give you nightmares for the rest of your life. So there is something, like, everything's epic and fast and furious and important and dramatic and melodramatic. And it's all like, ah! And I feel for them. And I love that age. That's why I'm a teacher. But um, it's so funny. It's like, I see kids sometimes that are in different social groups. And I was like... I think to myself, they'd be best friends. These two kids, but one's in 10th and one's a senior and they're in a little bit different social groups and that would just never happen. They're worlds apart and it would be hilarious for me to try to force it. But the reality is if somehow those worlds, if they could see them for how superficial they are, they actually would be because what I'm recognizing is their sense of humor and their curiosity and I think they would legitimately, like if I could be matchmaker uh, for friendships in high school, I think I'd be good at it. Right. So. Hmm. All right, let's move down the list. Uh, so um, sexuality, another common uh, identity category. How much does that play into your identity? Be- being straight. You're gay. You're gay. Yeah, straight. <laughs> straight. Yeah. I'm straight. And so how much, it, you know, I have to think for a moment because I – what is typical like it's it's typical to be straight and i i don't think about being straight that often and i and like so what i just it's kind of like unexamined like my straightness is largely unexamined in me um you know (laughs) i yeah i don't know what to like it's funny like i don't what i mean what do you what can i say what where where, where do i go from there i'm straight that is the typical like statistically like it's just like that's i'm wired a a certain way like i am that is true that's a fair enough answer i mean if it doesn't play into your identity like if you know, you're summing up who you are. If you don't come up with straight, then, well, that's not playing a large part in your identity. And it's certainly, we and tease, like, I joke around, like, I love candles and, like, I dread, like, like fashion is a big deal to me, aesthetics and, and like, furniture, poetry. poetry and furniture, like, these things that would be considered feminized and, and, like, even more crudely categorized as, like, oh, that's gay or something like that, it's sort of as a, you know, meaning to sort of, I'm not sure what it's meaning to do exactly, but but I don't see the relationship between like your desire for the same sex and like your affinity for candles. It's always struck me, right? Like I don't get it. Uh, I don't get how like being like even the word flamboyant, right? Flamboyant is almost like a word you you ascribe to the mannerisms of a of a gay person. But like I'm actually reasonably flamboyant, wouldn't you say? Like I I don't know. I definitely. I, <laughs> bounce around i'm goofy I, I don't know what flamboyant exactly means i guess but anyway i'm i'm straight and uh and i don't go i do not say ooh i can't like candles because that wouldn't be very straight of me i don't think that way yeah so i don't think <laughs> i don't measure it in some straight scale and go ooh yeah i should do that because it fits with my straight narrative or and so the fact that i don't do that at all like i don't make like my taste and things are not at all dictated on that 
spectrum of how straight it appears. Like it suggests to me, it just doesn't play a very significant role. Yes, that that makes sense. And I mean, like, I th- if you had to hypothesize just in terms of your current happiness levels or mental health levels or whatever, like the fact that you don't struggle or analyze over the, you know your sexuality in terms of your identity i mean that probably plays some small part in uh or at least it could be a lot worse right <laughs> yeah no i have a i have certainty in that i'm not in a crisis of like am i you know am i not straight like that's not a question i wrestle with i imagine that would really really like that's that entails a journey at the very least a quite a journey and a big part of that journey would be mental health um and also, though, I would say this, though, if I if I were gay, I do think being all of a sudden that is not what's typical in society statistically. Right. Like That's not just every it's not nine out of ten people aren't gay. Um, so if you are in the minority there, I would I would notice it and feel it and understand this is outside of what is typical. I'm, I'm living living in a world that is primarily straight. And here I am a gay person. And so. When that happens, I would become more aware of it, and by being more aware of it, it probably would play into my identity more. Um, and then I'd have to go, well, how much am I going to let this component define me? And versus a lot of there's so many other factors at play too. So yeah, I can yes. I just sympathize there, right? Like being straight in a straight society isn't like just isn't that interesting to talk about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, Whereas it's yeah, more interesting to talk about a gay, it, like talking about a gay person in a straight society, that's interesting. Or talking about a straight person in a gay society, that's interesting. Um, but a gay person in a gay society, not that interesting. And in a, in a straight person in a straight society, not interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's hit the other, uh, the other big one. So what about your race? Um, how much does that play into your identity? Um, I guess I would get into as a as a white person. Um, I've I've not a whole lot, um, or like you know I've read a slew. I could list you the books, all the books about white identity, and I, I don't know if I, I don't want to go down deep down that that path. But um, yeah. essentially, they were but, attempts. But I mean, to, so. Well, if I could just ask, you read, why did you read those? Did you read those because of you, your you, intrinsic, your intrinsic questions about identity? Well, I or think society's currently questions? claiming, there's a claim out there that like your white, being white has, uh, is more a part of your identity than you realize. And that's a pretty provocative claim. Really? Like, cause I haven't thought of my, I don't think of myself as white, um, or I mean, I am aware on some level I'm white, but it's not part of what I think about as I as I make my way through the world, and and these books and are sort of claiming that's precisely our point. That's why you need to know more about what it means to be white. And I'm like, ooh, that that's interesting because if I don't, it, what are my blind spots? That's something that just drives my curiosity. Um, and so I read all of I shouldn't say all of the literature. I mean, I'm just talking about seven or eight books. Um, yeah. But I read 
that's a, that's a good bit, right? Like I've heard that if you read yeah, two, two bo- books on a subject, you know more than 98% of the population on said topic. So if I've read seven or eight, I might as well be uh, wow. like uh, just a... You're like the white guy. <laughs> I'm the, I'm, I know my whiteness. So I went from like... So now it's like 97% of my identity. Uh, right, right. <laughs> um yeah, like it's enthralling, and it may, and so I've been uh, sensitive to my whiteness, I suppose, or at least trying to be. But it hasn't held the water. Like I just, I don't feel apologetic or guilty the way like the books suggested. And I know I'm simplifying and stuff, but like I don't feel. I just I want to know like my what is my whiteness how does that impact others i'm very curious especially as a teacher that's why i felt it was my responsibility to read these books what's if i put myself out there i'm walking into a classroom what messages have i just sent out just by being a pretty tall guy pretty thin guy pretty white guy pretty pasty you know like just like all these things um what messages that like i wouldn't think that gives them much information to work with but people are interesting. They might be. They might form all sorts of opinions immediately. Um, ooh, he's young. He's gonna be cool. Ooh, he's like. I mean, fill in the blank. I, I was trying to think of a negative one, but I couldn't come up with a negative. Why would you look at me and come up with a negative one? Uh, oh, he's thin, and I don't like thin teachers. God, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I could be very cynical, but I won't. Um... Yeah, I mean that that's all well and good. I certainly understand what you're saying. I didn't uh-huh. I'm not answering this question well, but I think that that is the point too is that this we're in a hot mess and I'm almost scared. That and that should say something. I'm just scared to talk about my whiteness. Def- so, yeah. That frankly yeah, this is it's it a terrifying conversation. It's like, "Oh, this is so ripe for like low-hanging fruit because no matter how you no matter how you say it, like someone can critique it, right? So, oh, look, he's not acknowledging, or he is well, acknowledging, or whatever. And so it's just like I'm scared. I'd rather just not yeah. talk about it, <laughs> which is a totally, shame. Yeah, it is a shame. I totally I totally understand the fact that you even mentioned that you were white. You shouldn't have even mentioned that. You should have just talked about it more vaguely. I mean, well, the honest <laughs> thing to do is to mention it, yeah. mention it straight up. But, um, but but to more more to the point of. You know, discarding all of the, uh, you know, all of the current, you know, fervor over over race. What you're talking about about walking into the classroom and trying to gauge, or at least trying to understand the labels that people will put on you based on your group uh, characteristics. That's a totally different thing, and you know, we could talk about whether that's justified or not justified. But where do I but, put it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where do you put it in terms of identity? And and you've answered that mostly. But w- what what I want to know is, before reading these books, uh, and after reading these books, did that number, the percentage that race plays into your identity, did that change? Did it go up, down, not change at all? Do you have any sense of whether that was affected? into me my relationship with myself and my identity with my white my my skin color um it yes it has, in the yes it is not affected at all um understanding where the cultural conversation is it, i am now aware that my skin color is uh sending a message beyond my control and so i'm a little sensitive to that a little more Fair sensitive enough. than i was and so I try right. to like operate knowing, all right, if they think that I'm sending off these messages, they being any every, any and everyone, just people other than me, then I need to like work within that 
that context. <laughs> I, like, I fair enough, to. but but yeah, no, for me, that, me with myself, none, none really. So yeah, that's a different game. Gauging what other people, if other people identify as people who care about race, that's that's their problem. But in terms of your what you view, you know, who is Daniel? That's what I was curious about is whether that changed any with yeah. Then I don't. Then I don't put much on there. Yeah, no, I don't think so. That that makes sense. All right. So what about uh, what about religion? Does that play a part in your identity? Oh, and by the way, as well, like if that you know that topic might have made you uncomfortable, feel free to <laughs> skip any any of these. Like I said, this is is really personal about you, so it may not be something you want to talk about. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying to wrestle with these. It's almost unexpectedly heavy, but I kind of like it. So, um, religion, religion, or or like a relationship with God? Or are you gonna let me kind of wander through that a little uh, bit? You can you can wander through it. I mean, just in the in the lens of under the lens of identity, how much does uh, either either of those things make up who you are, or intrinsically how you view your identity? Um, I will say, hmm, like there's like familial interwoven familial like layers of like what like being raised as a christian and i and i am a christian and i like am a prayerful person and i have a relationship with god but religion as like this institution where i go to church i I don't i don't go to church um i really just don't um i don't i'm not against it i don't feel particularly impassioned to to um I like the structure it provides. I think about one day starting a family and providing and like loving the idea of taking a kid to church and like the the sort of a it's a moral institution and what is what are those morals and how do you and, and it's a body of people coming together to worship. So that's a really cool idea to sort of humble yourself as a group and say like there's a greater being and and all of that. So yeah, I I I. <laughs> gosh you're that's a tough one too that i'm wrestling with like i like the idea uh i could grow in that area it's not on my front burner issue like better find myself a church um and i will continue praying uh it's kind of a it's actually one of my more private things like i don't like you and i talk all the time but i don't go man i had a hell of a prayer last night gotta tell you all about it like i don't i just it's between me and god kind of thing and so yeah so we in that respect, because you're asking me like, who am I and my identity? It actually is this yes. reasonably reasonably significant, um, but but it doesn't play into sort of my public like I don't. It doesn't enter into my teaching a whole lot, or even in my conversations. Like, you know, I don't it, because my prayer is like, it's not like you know, oh yeah, like you you we're talking about this, and I was just praying about that the other night. Like I don't I don't fold it in that way. I almost intentionally. Mm. Fo- if my prayer is sort of a, a holy experience, if that is, then then like that's you know that's my thing with God. Like I don't like it's my private thing, and so I'm pretty private about it. And so uh, yeah, it's pretty and that's pretty significant to me. And it roots it like gives me a sense of purpose and 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 stability. And like when I'm having a tough time, like it's like i feel like there's a mental health component of god like like interwoven into my mental health deeply so yeah i'd say it's pretty important um would you say of the ones that we've gone through so far would you say it's the most it's the the greatest percentage of your identity can you, of the ones can you go over them about? really quickly just list them again like men being a man sex, sex uh, yeah sex age sexuality race 
and religion? Yeah, probably. Okay, interesting. Well, you're confirming. I mean, uh, maybe it's just because we're we've been friends for a long time and we share a lot of the same outlooks. But like, I haven't shocked you, you with can, my <laughs> yeah. No, well, I didn't expect to be shocked. I mean, I think that I, I, you know, I know you pretty well. But but you're proving my hypothesis anyway. In my opinion, that the the way that you assess your identity and the importance you put in each of these categories probably plays some role in your mental health and your success in life and so on um so but let's so we've hit all the big ones we've hit the major ones everyone talks about these these are the ones that are all over the place but like your identity can be broken down almost infinitely so um what about uh what about your hair color how much of your identity is made up by by your hair color uh, would you say probably zero probably zero probably none okay. having hair what about uh i would say like okay. was not is some small percentage not a lot but like hair color like if it were red or black or brown or whatever like i don't know if i were bald i feel like it would it would impact my self-image a little bit so do you think that um do you think there's anything wrong with ha- putting uh or- making hair color part of your identity and maybe if you are a ginger or like a blonde or something you know there are there are category you know there are things people categorize yeah no i get getting really tripped up on my words but you you see what i'm saying right people people do invest some of their identity into their hair color strangely to me strangely but it feels strange except i just have to go instead of hair i mean what they're doing is some sense of their attractiveness like they feel like it's their thing that makes them attractive that's what i suspect anyway like some people get into their makeup well i shouldn't say because that could be have a whole art to it right like you you you're now doing a hobby and so you can put your identity in the hobby but also Weirdly, with makeup, it's not just a hobby. It's also like improving your looks, and I'm putting that in quotes because depending on you know, but right, sure. Well, also makeup is a you know a product that you buy and put on, and your hair just grows out of you. Yes. Obviously, you can die. You can dye it. But. So so, but like, but if I were to say attractiveness is is part of my uh, identity uh, holistically, so if you're gonna say like, and actually that might measure my height, like all these little things give a, an impression of how attractive I am. And I believe that the mm, world okay. responds to attractiveness uh, right. pretty pretty strongly. So I've been shaped by my attractiveness. I, I will admit, like, probably pretty... And, and that might even fold in skin color, right? Um, and so, I, at least to some degree, my attractive... I'm, the way I'm being perceived is going to, like, like, people will respond positively or negatively, depending on if they find me That's attractive. That's an interesting point. I didn't write that down, but... You definitely can identify as ugly or as attractive or as average, and that certainly affects your mental state and your outcomes. So that's a really good point. And, and the narrative and, and, we tell ourselves because it's pretty subjective right. and how you carry well, yourself it, and all of that. It's really, it, but that might be a more exactly. a product of your. I I don't know. Anyway. Could be. It's probably there's some cycle to it, and I mean the fact that you identify as an attractive person, you know, it, you know, in whatever quantity or, you know, that you, you choose, that probably does play a part. Like I imagine that if you're, if you're stuck identifying as someone ugly, you're going to have a harder time. Uh, yeah. And I think that, that 
there let's say it's no secret there are ugly people in the world and like and they probably know it so they also not only are you ugly but you identify as ugly like it would be better if you that's could, the problem but yeah. that's actually harmony and that sucks because like the right thing to do is to well, know it but like wouldn't it be better if you're kind of ugly just to identify as you know reasonable reasonably good looking like well I mean, so I think that, like you say, the reality, the sad reality is that there are ugly people, but, and, and it's almost inescapable. I mean, you can try to mitigate it with like a, like a paper bag or something, but you, um, sorry. I I was actually just thinking, well, with weight control pretty much takes care of a lot of it, but that's not accurate either. That's just bad. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. I I was being, I was being mean as well, but. The, the the legitimate the, the the real the real thing is that while you may not be able to affect that part of reality you can in terms of identity you can control these proportions and how much you identify in any of these given categories and so if you happen to be dealt a hand where you're uglier than others then in, at least in terms of your own psychology i would think that the strategy would be to identify less as an ugly person and focus more on other categories, which I think is a strategy that people implement all the time. So you're saying don't deny the ugliness, just place your emphasis elsewhere. That's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking here, but I think that, I mean, obviously it's a psychological trap that people can get stuck in um, identifying as some sort of victim, whether it's of, you know, their inferior beauty or as a particular race or age or whatever you can get trapped over identifying in any of these categories that's that's a really good point because it would be a mistake to tell the ugly person you're so beautiful like the the reality is if they they just would feel like they're lying to themselves they start going i'm beautiful i am beautiful like that's not not it's like stop getting caught up in the looks department. Let's place like what do you have control over and what can you do? Like let's de-emphasize. Let's not get so hung up on the looks. Um, it, I mean, to some degree anyway. Like I, I, just it's not like saying oh you're ugly so just focus on being funny or something. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like you're getting really caught up in this negative cycle. And so stop yes. the negative cycle and go focus on something positive if you can. Um, so, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So what about uh, so what about nationality? What about being American? Does that play a part in your identity? Sure, a little bit, I guess. Um, it probably, I mean, again, that shaped me in ways, untold ways. Like, So you're asking like explicitly, like explicitly, I don't think go around going, hi, I'm Daniel, American. <laughs> You I'm know. an American. I'm an American. I'm Daniel. I'm, Amer- I'm American. I'm an- nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm an American white man. <laughs> I'm an American white man. Uh, but so, but I also understand that like my education, the education system I was brought up in, and uh, you know, in the South, and like and like how I don't have a good sense of geography or, or a huge global perspective <laughs> or whatever. I don't, and so that is uh, almost stereotypically American. And so I got to go, all right, I acknowledge that I am, I, I fit some of the stereotypes of American. I think you're way worse than the average American at geography. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. But um, my my lack of interest in improving is very, very American, <laughs> right? You, you almost identify as a person who doesn't know geography. Yeah, I do. I do. Probably more than an American, so... Um, 
So yeah, I don't know. So yeah, that's there. I used to not identify as a southerner. This is this is this will get round out this discussion is that I didn't think of myself as southern at all. And now that I've gotten away from southern culture for a while and and people like would ascribe you know, oh, you're from there. Okay, I like they would it would really annoy me if they wanted to suggest that they knew something about me because of where I was from, because a lot of it just doesn't fit. And I still mm-hmm. resent, I still think that's a bad idea, but it's just like reflecting on when your childhood, you're like, Oh yeah, of course I was informed by a lot of Southern values and thoughts and things. Like, of course I was, and there's no shame in that, but I just recognize it was interwoven into me in a way that I was very, very blind to. So that's what I was interested in reading those books, by the way, too. It's like, all right, well, is my whiteness interwoven in a way that I'm blind to? Like, I'm not, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. And I don't think think so to that, to the degree of which I'm being told it is. But I'm willing to examine that because like, yeah, I think being an American probably has a lot more of shaping in mind that I'm, that I'm currently aware. Um, but yeah, I don't walk around with this sort of, uh, explicit sense of of Amer like being an American, like being part of who I am and informing my opinions and like yeah, America. So um, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, being born in America has created circumstances that you know made you become the person you are. But in terms of your identity, exactly like you say, you don't you don't think about that. That doesn't. That doesn't enter into your equation. But that's the real question. How how much is my explicit identity interwoven into who I think about who I am? Or like, is it the actual influences? Like, those are different things. Because I can't know how freaking American I am. (laughs) Like, I I can't. Uh, Exactly. All my friends are Americans. I I, I swim in it, you know? Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. But in a way, in a way, your identity is self-constructed um and i mean you kind of get to determine where you where you place the emphasis on all yeah, of these categories i'm not, emphasi- I'm not and, emphasizing my americanism like i don't i have never bought an american like pair of shorts <laughs> i've never like hung an american flag yeah. in my anywhere um yeah just like i don't choose to emphasize it that's a better way how much emphasis do i put on it there you go that just helps solve some of these problems for me it clarifies i'm just gonna say where where do i put my emphasis not very high at all so low so what about your family name uh pretty high even though i don't have an extended family i guess it's just like super high respect for my parents um i have like yeah uh so and i like the idea of but i also don't care about all right i've never i'm at an age where i'm just now even having an inkling to go like what are my roots i've never been interested in that question probably aggressively uninterested and i'm still to be honest not interested in it but i feel a little guilty by not being a little more interested like where do my ancestors come from and so if i if I'm just being honest, I am not quite where I'm curious. I suspect one day I will be I, that I will grow more curious, but I'm not there yet. And mm-hmm. so my family name is my like I want to honor my parents, and I want to I want a lineage, like I want a little you know 
son or daughter that's like carrying on that name proudly. I like that. Um, so yeah, uh, hmm, I, it, may, it means something to me. But I actually, I think my initial was just out of respect to my parents to go a lot. But really, it's not a whole lot. Um, hmm, not okay. actually. I mean, <sighs> if you take if you take it out of like paying respects to my parents, it's very little. <laughs> But I just really respect my parents, and it seems to mean something to them, and so I'm gonna just like by osmosis care a little bit for them. So, so maybe maybe I should say that well, I have another category later for interpersonal relationships. So you know, being a boyfriend or a son or a friend or whatever, you would your being a son plays heavily into your identity. Yes, maybe that's more so than f- family name. Family name then then okay that helps clear it up then in that case. Family name means very little to me. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, I've got a, a handful more, but I think they, they get easier and easier. Okay. So um, it, we, you already mentioned being from the South. I had, put, I had put state of birth and state of residence. You kind of already answered that, but does the state of birth and residence, is there any difference between those two to I'd you? I'd say a lot, yeah. I was born and raised for, you know, 24, 21 years in the same state and like yeah that means something i will always be that state like that person from that (laughs) state uh i actually identify like like and and also the question is where you're from it's never where you live in because i think it's obvious um but i have no relationship (laughs) with where i live right now like i don't it's just a it will it will be a place i lived you know and if someone asks i I will feel like i lay some claim if like i move out of this state and people go start talking about this state i'll go oh yeah i mean i spent some real time there like i feel like i can weigh in on the Mm -hmm. culture i don't feel uh, my identity though no my identity zero um but my like i'll tell i can lay claim in a conversation oh yeah i know all about that state you know yeah so what about um a consumer of a specific brand or item so do you identify as you know, a, a Toyota guy or an Apple guy or a typewriter guy, <laughs> okay. anything like that. I mean, so, you know, you joke, my friends joke, I'm a sort of a product guy in terms of, uh, I like to do some research, buy some technical stuff like fabrics and things. And, and I'm a, like a fashion, fashion guy. And so that becomes by extension, like Cole Haan shoes or, you know, okay. uh, there's all sorts of brands I could go into with shirts and stuff. So I, uh, you know, a product, a brand suggests credibility. So, but this is weird. Like, yeah, I really enjoy it. And like, I even like people will come to me and ask, I want some shoes. I want some, I want a good pair of dress pants. And I love, I like that. So if that's what you're asking, do I like that they see me as that? I do. I like it. So it's not, well, that's, that's different. So I would say that that's you know the your value on attractiveness or what pre- presentation so. or whatever. Probably but, so. But in terms of specific brands, like you know, like oh yeah, like, no, 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 I will buy you know, people, different. People are loyal to their car brand or to like you know oh I must you know I play PlayStation. Yeah, no, no, or, okay, yeah, that's very oh, low. You know, I like Mar I like Marvel or whatever I, the case may be. I give the brand what it deserves. If it's a great shirt, then yeah, I'll buy one. But like, there's so many good shirts on the market. I'm, I'm like experimenting. So I didn't find one good shirt brand and stick to it because there's too many good ones out there right now. And it's the same like with a car. It's not like, yeah, I've had Toyotas and I, they're just known for being a good car. But that's why I want them is because they're known for being good. But like 
if if Mazda, if I was in the market and like that hit my needs, I would get that. So yeah, not really brand loyalist. I'm just, but brands that signify quantity or quality, excuse me, are like that's useful, you know. So I like to it. It means when I'm going out to search for things, I will exclude a lot of just low brands and just like I'm looking for this tier of brand. People seem to know what that means, but yeah, no, I'm not married to a brand whatsoever. So no. <clears throat> All right. So the last, uh, the the last ones are ones that you know I think are going to be pretty big. So occupation, uh, ho- hobbies, any particular hobby, personality, and interpersonal relationships. Um, personality. So how how much? Yeah, personality. So how much you identify as you know, say an extrovert or a what you know, whatever, whatever the components a of your personality man, are. A, yeah. a funny man, a funny man. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so start occupation teacher, uh, the lion's share probably of whatever. Like maybe it's just too much, and I need to back off on that a little. I think that's actually if I'm going for self improvement, then I need to. Uh, and I've actually been doing that a little in my life. It's trying to whittle that down. Like it's occupied too much of my identity. Um, Your occupation is occupied too much. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. Um, so. Well, the robots will help you out with that soon enough. They'll help out. Um, and as I'm getting older and more sure of myself, I don't have the need that teaching can fulfill, right? Like student mm-hmm. praise or praise from your coworkers or administration or whatever. So like I've gotten that. I know I'm pretty, I'm decent anyway. Um, and then, uh, so I'm trying to work on like right. the so whole self instead of just me, the teacher. And I've been doing that too much. It sounds like almost naturally teaching has become less a part of your identity because you're more confident in it. Yes. Is that that's it? That's an interesting say? thing to say, but yes. It, yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah. But it's still probably too high, um, and maybe the highest thing on all of this. Well, yeah. Right. I, I mean, I suspected that probably would be the case. But I think that's the case for, for many people, that their job is probably their highest identity that's category. That's weird to say. So that doesn't mean it's more important than being a son. Like, if given, like, oh, you go to work or go help your family, like, I'm going to go help my family. Well, But, uh, you know. Obviously, it doesn't necessarily say anything about your value structure. Not necessarily, but think about it. Every man who is born is a son. So, in a way, you're in the same way that you're white. You're just kind of stuck with it. You know, you are what you are, but you aren't necessarily a teacher. You choose that. You work towards it, and and you continue to work in that area every you know every day. Yeah. And so. Almost by nature, that will be a larger part of your identity. Yeah. Not necessarily. You can ima- you can imagine situations where maybe being a son is more important than, or or more a bigger component of your identity than being a teacher. Maybe in a certain circumstance where you know your parents are ill and you have to take care of them uh, or something like that, that role might fill more of your identity oh, true, for true. a while. Yeah. What were the um, others? Hobbies? So, uh, yeah, hobbies. I'm, and interpersonal relationships. I'm weird. I don't have many so. hobbies. I mean, I read, and I watch movies, and I work out, and I do things, and I like to go on vacation. But I don't. I always get struck with it's like, well, what do you do in your free time? And it's like, hang out, have fun, <laughs> hang out with friends. You know, I have these, like <laughs> stupid answers. Um, 
and it's laugh, maybe, it's actually live, laugh, love. It's another it's another area of my life where I could be a little more deliberate, intentional, and say, you know, I like writing. I want to write. I should write more. I should become a writer in my as a hobby. But so I'm not very good at that right now. I'm just like, oh, I'm tired from work. I, I put it, all of my identity into the work. So then I'm like, I get home and I, I just need to, I just want to watch some Netflix and some great British bacon show and zone out. You know what I mean? And so I need to, and you know, or be, or be a good boyfriend or do my workout and try and take care of my body and stuff like that. So it's just like, who, who has time for hobbies? <laughs> Which is a, by the, by the time I've relaxed a little and worked out and done all my work and prepped for work, like that's my life. And that's actually... You know, and then maybe gone on the occasional trip or something, or or done this podcast. How about that? This is my hobby. Oh, this yeah. is actually my hobby. hobby. Yeah, there you go. Right. This is my most disciplined hobby. That and watching B movies with you. <laughs> so you occupy like hundred <laughs> yeah. percent of my hobby life. Most of your hobbies. <laughs> and and it, and yeah. it's worthless. Zero percent of my identity. <laughs> no. Uh, well, we also rarely get to watch B movies. Yeah, no. So that's uh, so that yeah. gives some more perspective. Well, and if you can, I don't consider watching TV a hobby. We could debate about what's a hobby. That's a whole conversation yeah. for another time, though. Because um, right. I'm, I, yeah. As but a then, yeah, no, as a brief as, go ahead. As a as a brief aside on the topic of of writing, I would I would I would actually really like to read some writing of yours. Like if you wrote, I don't know, any variety of stuff, some creative thing or essay or something. I think I, I think that's kind of an untapped skill that that you could have um obviously you're an english teacher you're familiar with the art of writing and lots of examples of writing uh but to my knowledge you haven't really done a lot of writing um i don't know i'd be interested to see what you could yeah i could certainly create. write more um and outside the realm of poetry too i'd like i would like to know too if i just started writing yeah i'd like to do that and i so uh. you know would you, yeah if you would you ever side note would you ever take a writing course there's this writing like that'll do like little challenges and journals every day and you pay like 30 bucks and you have like a month-long writing course i know of some things like this that do this sort of write yourself alive and it like i don't know if you, next time it happens it's a nah. side, different discussion you just wouldn't be interested <laughs> i i mean yeah it would just be like I, us doing yeah. it together just be like someone like you do it i do oh uh, yeah like, no, post, i mean that sounds you know setting. if it was it's a group of us that something you don't have like homework things and no one really checks in or anything. It's just like here's your daily prompt and like you you sort of make this commitment to yourself. And then they have like a Facebook page that you can go share your writing if you want and get people to, you know, optionally give feedback and stuff. So, I guess that doesn't sound so bad. I, I write a lot anyway. Um, yeah. And and so I don't know, but it's it's fun to write with external prompts uh, when someone tell i never i never would have thought i would say this you know as a student or whatever i hated writing i hated it i hated being told what to write uh and whenever they would tell me to write something i would write something else uh like when i was in science class and we had to write an essay and the only rule was you have to use these vocabulary words i wrote a ridiculous narrative that just happened to use the vocabulary words uh and it was a story <laughs> about like a that. spy yeah yeah, you went yeah, way over the funny. top with the assignment, and people liked it a lot. Yeah, it was really funny, but 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 now I I like the idea of being told you know write this and then being able to write creatively within those bounds. Um, yeah. The bounds, the more 
I learned more and more that having limitation is what allows you to be creative, which is yeah, kind of a paradox. But yeah, it is a paradox. The because without free. any li- without any limitation, you have no direction, and you don't you, you you don't know where to go. But if you have some limitation, you know where the boundaries are, and you can fill those boundaries as creatively as you can. So yep. Kind of kind of an aside. We're 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 going on kind of long. I'm I'm yeah, running out of steam. And also, um, yeah, I am too, to be honest. I I, I yeah, I detect uh, that you are as well. And and we've made it through all of the categories. I just want to kind of put a bow on uh, on this topic of identity because you've gone through and you've explained how you kind of place importance on all of these categories. And you know, again, this is just my opinion and my assessment, but I think that like your your um, how you divvy up the importance of all of these various aspects is probably pretty healthy and pretty reasonable. And you know, a lot of people struggle whether uh, whether rightfully or not with how to divvy up the components of their identity. And like we said, especially young people. Um, so I don't know if your walking through these might serve as an example or at least a template for self-analysis, but I think it could be you know, really helpful um, to, to do that. Well, I appreciate one other that. point. Yeah. And like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm a model for that, but yeah, like you said, like I'm a reasonably, I'm willing to be vulnerable and, uh, and like, yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I mean, pretty stable, I, I wouldn't, so. yeah, I'm, I'm not even claiming that, you know, you're the pinnacle <laughs> of identity perfection. That's not what I, that's not what I'm doing, but I do, th- but I mean, obviously you've got things going, rel- you've got things going pretty well for you and like, I don't think you have any pathological identity problems and, a lot of people do. A lot of people do, and there's a lot of noise out there right now telling people that they should. That they sh- people are making claims saying you should value this part of your identity really highly. And sometimes I think that that can be misleading and actually damaging. Um, and so you know, maybe it's good for people to hear that it's okay to just kind of not care that much about some of these big pieces, these big chunks of identity that people tell us we should care a lot about, maybe we shouldn't really, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and another point I was going to make, too, is that, you know, I listed a handful of categories, um, 10 categories or something like that, but I could have listed 100. And, and if I really grilled you and made you put a percentage on these things, the, you know, the number of categories, you know, as you pointed out, affects the number you assign I could have picked a hundred categories and you would have had a really hard time coming up with a percentage number to put on these things. I could have come up with a thousand categories and it would have been even harder. In fact, just the categories I listed, if I were to try to uh, identify you, the number of combinations (laughs) I could have made from all of these categories is 27 million billion combinations. Just Uh, out of those. So just out of the ones that I listed, um, and so you picking one from each category, actually, it makes you more. It makes you super unique. There's like twenty-seven million billion combinations, and you picked one of them. Hmm. Hmm. And it just goes to show that if you focus too heavily on identity on any one of these categories, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So I mean, the the really cheesy the really cheesy endpoint is that. Um, uh, if you hyper-focus on identity, you end up at the level of the individual. 
Uh, and so the kind of the moral of the story is just be yourself. Yeah. Just be yourself. You know, this reminds um, me of a good which is, quote. Um, Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, <laughs> you land amongst the stars. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's kind of, that's, uh, I think that is the real saying. Um, you do you. <laughs> oh no. no! And that's what that's we're gonna right. end. That's... We're ending there. We're ending there. God, that was my. That was the message. That was really <laughs> that was it. the message. You, you do, do you. Freaking you! Do, 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 God, I feel do, like this has been you do, a joke you, you, played you, on me. You do you do you do <laughs> you. <laughs> you. <laughs>